Wasn't that what the two of you were talking about by yourselves? Her giving you the whole you better treat my daughter right or else speech? Kyoshi supposed that had been a part of the conversation in a roundabout way. She decided not to mention the particulars. Avatar Kyoshi, said a deep, confident voice behind her. She turned around to see a young man swathed in regal golden black. His hair was pulled back tight, making his large forehead more prominent, and his sharp chin was clean-shaven. Finally, she arranged her features in a welcoming expression that hopefully conveyed the right amount of respect for a foreign head of state. This was the introduction she had to make herself, without help. Fire Lord, she said. Thank you for your gracious hospitality. While she was getting ready, she'd practiced over and over what she would say. From the way the crowd hushed, she could tell many eyes were watching her. I have not been in the Fire Nation long, but already I have been awestruck several times by the natural splendor of your country, and especially the skill of its craftsmen. Oh, so you've visited the gallery then, he said, grinning. It's our national pride. There was a slight tug on the back of Kyoshi's dress. She ignored it. She was doing well right now and didn't want to lose her momentum. I did. Might I say you resemble your departed father, Lord Cheiryu, a great deal? May your reign over the Fire Nation be as glorious as his. A sharp kick to the back of her calf nearly made her buckle. Kyoshi. Rongi's voice was a strangled squeak of mortification. That's not Fire Lord Zoryu. Ancient History The crowd had frozen. The waiters had frozen. The sun in the sky halted its arc. The celestial bodies had never seen such a colossal blunder in their thousand lifetimes of watching the Avatar. I should introduce myself, said the man whom Kyoshi had mistaken for the Fire Lord. My name is Cheijin. Fire Lord Zoryu is my younger half-brother. Kiyoshi looked around frantically for the real Zoryu. She spotted him, hurriedly working his way through the crowd in her direction, outpacing his own guards. She confirmed it was him like she should have done the first time, by checking his top knot from afar. There it was, the headpiece in the shape of a five-tongued flame, decidedly not resting in the hair of the man standing before her. Kiyoshi grimaced. It was as if this double had selected his appearance to cause confusion. His robes were cut to resemble the silhouette of royal armor, and the gold brocade that hung from his shoulders was a shade that she thought was reserved for the Fire Lord and his immediate family. Apologies for the error, she muttered. She had never heard of Chajin before, and had no idea where he fell in the court hierarchy. It's understandable. Royal lineages can be confusing. My father was Fire Lord Cheiru, but he never married my mother. We try very hard to hide our indiscretions here in the Fire Nation, especially to outsiders. She was too far out on a limb. She didn't know what to say when presented with delicate information like this.
She glanced at Rongi for help. But judging from her panicked expression, Rongi didn't have enough rank to speak here. She'd spent all her capital already to warn Kiyoshi of her mistake. Kiyoshi tried to read how delicate the situation was by glancing at the faces of nearby partygoers. The normally reserved fire nationals looked completely aghast. The tension grew thicker and heavier until finally their little bubble was pierced by the arrival of Zoryu. Avatar Kiyoshi, the fire lord said, leaning over slightly from exertion. The hem of his outrageously delicate robe was grass-stained, and his headpiece had tilted out of alignment in his haste to get here. Their meeting had been anything but a graceful drifting together like two leaves in a pond. Zoryu, Jean said. He genially slapped his brother on the back. I was wondering when you'd get here. I'd like you to meet the Avatar. She thought I was the Fire Lord. Can you imagine? Kyoshi heard Rongi suck in her breath sharply, and she understood why. Jin had stolen the right of introduction, neglected his brother's title, and improperly touched the Fire Lord, all under the guise of a friendly gesture between family members. If court etiquette was a secret language, then it was finally opening to her, arranging concepts and syllables into sentences she could comprehend. How amusing, Zoryu said. I need to talk to my guest now, Jin. The statement could have been a warning if delivered right, but the slight crack in the Fire Lord's timbre turned it unsure and plaintive. Of course, of course, Jin said. You must have wanted to discuss the recent crop failures or the precipitous declines of the fisheries. If there's anyone who could reverse our country's recent fortunes, it's the Avatar. The strain in Zoryu's neck reached all the way to his temples. This must have been the problem of national importance he wanted to discuss with the Avatar, but not in such a public venue. A malaise has settled over the land since the death of our father, and the natural bounties we used to enjoy during his reign have vanished, Jin explained, even though no one had asked him to. Some of the older fire sages believe the spirits of the islands themselves are unhappy and have turned their faces away from us. He smiled at Zoryu. I, of course, have argued otherwise. The strength of my brother's rule is not to be questioned. The way Zoryu clenched his teeth and looked away told Kyoshi there was an element of truth to Cheijin's claims. Likely not the part where he supported his sibling, though. She knew what she had to do. The favor of the Avatar was the prize here, was it not? Men like Xing traveled across seas for a taste of it. Jin's little game of insubordination and disguise was obvious in hindsight. He wanted Kyoshi to shower respect upon him and criticize the Fire Lord. She didn't appreciate being manipulated, especially by someone she just met. She narrowed her eyes at Jin. If there's an issue with the spirits, I will resolve it on behalf of the Fire Lord. Her ability to communicate beyond the physical realm was sorely lacking, but he didn't need to know that right now. He has my full support as the Avatar, 
Now, if you don't mind, he and I will talk in private. Jin's mouth fell open. I believe I asked you to leave, Kyoshi said. Normally, she'd wait longer before letting the cutting remarks fly. But this was a special case. She was on to Jin's performance, and she wanted the bystanders to see his efforts fail to bear fruit. But instead of suffering the rebuke like Xing, Jin glowed with happiness. I believe you did. He bowed and shuffled away, hurrying like he had to go share the news of their conversation with a friend. That wasn't the effect she'd wanted. Kyoshi turned back to Zoryu. He stared at her like a gutted fish, unable to speak. Kyoshi, Rangi whispered, nearly catatonic, forgetting that the ruler of her country stood within arm's reach of her. Kyoshi, what did you, what did you just do? She didn't know. It took the laborious, hurried arrival of Haydon to provide an answer. What she's done is follow disaster with catastrophe, the headmistress growled once she'd limped her way over. Everyone, shut up and follow me before you embarrass yourselves further. Kyoshi fell in behind Haydon. To her surprise, so did the Fire Lord. There was apparently no limit to the people Haydon could boss around. She detected pitying smirks on the faces of the nobles as they passed, but they weren't aimed at her, the ignorant foreigner who'd made a mess of things. They were directed at Zoryu, the man everyone here was supposed to owe absolute respect and fealty to. Whatever fluency she thought she had in court dynamics was being upended. She took one last glance at Che Jin, who was already whispering enthusiastically to another guest. Emblazoned on the back of the Fire Lord's brother's robe was a large stone camellia, wrought in gold thread, meant to be seen like a beacon. The rendition was identical to the one she'd seen in the portrait gallery, only without its smaller peony rival. A single blossom growing strong, with no competition to worry about. Kyoshi, move, Rangi whispered. They left the mass of the crowd behind them, circling around the palace grounds. As large as the party was, there was still more empty garden where they could have some true privacy, instead of counting on people not to snoop. The sparseness of the flowering orchard was more attractive from ground level. The regular spacing between the Zankan cherry and silver wisteria gave the impression of pink and white trees compressing into lines and then expanding again as their viewing angle changed. The Fire Lord moved slowly at Heron's pace. The stoic, silent royal guards had been dismissed, but Atuat and Jinpa had been pulled away from the party. Kiyoshi had ruined the privilege of remaining unchaperoned for everybody in her group. I, wow, Rangi muttered at Kiyoshi. She pressed her fingers to her temples. <sighs> if I insulted this Cheijin person, I'm sorry, Kiyoshi said under her breath. But he was doing much worse, and no one called him out on it. 
It wasn't Cheijing you insulted. It was the Fire Lord. Rangi could see Kiyoshi didn't get it. You declared in front of a crowd that you would fix a national problem for him. Isn't that my job? Yes, but you're not supposed to express it like that. The smooth running of the Fire Nation stems from the strength of the Fire Lord, both real and perceived. When you help him, you have to frame it as a partnership among equals. Simply claiming you're going to wave your hand and make it all better implies the Fire Lord is too weak to manage the country on his own. Kiyoshi had the sinking feeling this information was buried somewhere in the libraries at Yokoya. She might have even read about this very aspect of Fire Nation culture and simply forgotten. She could try and absorb the rules of diplomacy through text, but it wasn't the same as practicing them until they were second nature. One of her past lives could have helped her with the information too, had she not been so deficient at communing. She imagined Avatar Sito watching her blunder and hurling his hat to the ground. And then, to top it off, you dismissed someone in front of Lord Zoryu, Rangi said. Right of dismissal is the only custom more important than right of introduction. She ran her hand down the line of her jaw. This is Chameleon Bay all over again. You charge in face first, wreck the place, and then have to flee with your tail between your legs. I told you minutes before to be careful, did I not? Getting chewed out by Ronki was always going to be part and parcel of their reunion. Kiyoshi just thought it would have taken longer to get around to it. I'm sorry, she muttered. They weren't being as quiet as they thought. It's not the Avatar's fault, Zoryu said. It's mine. He'd come to a halt by a turtle duck pond. The animals were napping quietly on water so clear they looked like they were hovering in midair. Under a willow tree was a stone bench where Zoryu sat down, contemplating the peaceful scene. A smaller reception would have avoided this, but at the last moment, I thought I needed a bigger spectacle to enhance my image. In defense of Kyoshi's first blunder, Cheijin and Zoryu were nearly identical in the face, down to the same prominent brow and jut of their chin. At a distance, it would have been impossible to tell them apart. But up close, she could see the Fire Lord was thinner, still a gangly boy underneath his voluminous robes. It was as if someone had sewn two copies of the departed Lord Cheiryu, one with less stuffing. Zoryu's attempt to still his features in a regal manner was only half successful. As he gazed into the water, he smiled graciously at his reflection, like someone who would much rather be crying. This whole disaster is entirely my mistake, not Kyoshi's. Permission to speak beyond my station, Lord Zoryu, Heiran said. He waved half-heartedly. Granted, to you and everyone here. It is partially her fault she shouted. The sudden noise woke up the ducks and caused them to scatter to the other side of the pond, quacking as they fled. Or at least you have to declare so, 
What kind of fire lord preemptively blames himself for everything? Permission or not, that seemed overly familiar of Hadon. Unless Zodiu was a former private student of hers. The master-student relationship was one of the few to cut across all boundaries. You can't be that mopey little boy I used to teach anymore, Rongi's mother snapped, confirming Kyoshi's suspicion. Act with the dignity of your position. You've let Cheijin walk over you for far too long without repercussions, and now he thinks he can get away with anything. Kyoshi watched Zoryu wither under Heidon's scolding and felt a painful stab of recognition. Was I like that early on? She asked Rongi in a low voice. Are you kidding me? Rongi said with a snort. And what's so funny to you, Lieutenant? Hadon turned upon her daughter. You're telling me you couldn't think of a tactic to prevent the situation? Not even a basic diversion? Rongi suddenly blanched. She trembled with a fear that Kiyoshi had never seen before, not when taking on a brutal Leitai champion without her firebending or fighting a monstrous Shershu. You are responsible for the Avatar in every regard, not just physical safety. The daughter might have been good at scolding, but the mother was the founder of the entire school. Her reputation reflects on yours, and tonight I overheard an Earth Kingdom man call her a Daofei to her face. Kyoshi and Rongi glanced at each other with eyes as wide as plates. They'd kept more than a few details of their journey to themselves. That the rumors were technically true, and Kiyoshi really was a Daofei by oath, was one secret they'd have to work together to keep from the headmistress, for fear of Capital Island setting ablaze. I'm also to blame, Hadon muttered. I shouldn't have left your side, but I was distracted. She glared at Atuat, who had just finished a skewer of meat she'd taken along from the party. What? The water tribe doctor said, picking her teeth with the sharp sliver of bamboo. I haven't offended anyone tonight. Frankly, I found everyone else's behavior imprudent and shocking. Jinpa, ever the peacemaker, raised his hands. I am extremely confused. I understand court manners are important, but why is everyone acting like the nearest volcano is about to erupt? It's because the very problem I requested the Avatar's assistance with has now become much worse, Zoryu said. He turned to Kyoshi. I was going to explain everything under more private circumstances. Now's as good a time as any, Kyoshi said. I trust everyone here. She was willing to take a gamble on Atuat's discretion. Zoryu rearranged his robes so they wouldn't wrinkle conscious of them for the first time this evening. My father, the late Lord Cheiryu, was renowned for his exceptional strength and prodigious appetites. Cheijin is probably not my only half-sibling born out of wedlock, but he is the one my father couldn't ignore completely. His mother is Lady Huazo of the Sawan House. The Salwan are a powerful clan that controls Ma'inka Island in the eastern part of the country, Rongi explained. 
It's both one of the most prosperous and heavily fortified territories in the nation outside of the capital. Lady Huazo wasn't here tonight, but many of her relatives were. They were the ones wearing stone camellia patterns, the Salwan family crest. Based on the insignias Kyoshi had seen, the Salwan outnumbered the next two largest factions combined. What about your mother? she asked Zoryu. Where is she? My mother was Lady Sulan of the Kyoso clan, Zoryu said, his lips twisting into a sad smile. And I never knew her. She died giving birth to me. I'm told she was a lovely and wonderful person, by all accounts. Kyoshi's throat tightened in sympathy. If royal blood couldn't shield a child from being orphaned, then what chances did the castoffs of the world ever have? To avoid dishonoring Lady Huazo and the Sawan clan, my father officially recognized Che Jin as his child, Zoryu went on. But somehow, also managed to exclude him from being an official member of the royal family. It placed my elder half-brother in an unclear position when it came to the line of succession, so he was removed from the palace. Sending him away to the fire sages was a convenient method to get rid of an embarrassment to the fire lord, and my father forbade the matter to be talked about at court while he was alive. He caught Kiyoshi's scowl of disapproval before she could mask it. Fire lords and earth kings did worse to their siblings in ancient times, and I've attended performances of water tribe sagas with similar themes. In hindsight, I'd have gladly taken Cheijin's end of the deal and traded ruling for solitude and study. Stop saying things like that, Hadon snapped. Weakness is practice and learned as much as strength is. What if one of the Salwan were to hear you? Zoryu shrugged, a gesture that looked strange when performed by the leading figure of an entire country. His sturdy shoulder pads weren't designed for ambivalence and almost swallowed his head as they rose upward. It's too late to be worried. I set the wrong tone with Che Jin long ago. After my father's death, when I first heard the Sawan clan were sending Che Jin back to court as a high temple liaison, I was delighted. I thought the playmate of my youth was returning, my only living blood relative. But being sent away by our father embittered him. Zodiu tapped the side of his hair, causing his headpiece to wiggle. He came at me wanting his crown. Chajin exploited my initial lenience to show the clans how much kinglier he is than me, and has continued to do so ever since. Tonight was merely one example in a long list of petty jabs and undermining. The Sawan have always been skilled at subtly shaping public opinion, Rangi said. She spoke with the weariness of a veteran, more befitting of someone her mother's age. Kiyoshi had never seen her act this way. Cheijin has plausible deniability. He could say that he merely acted with the impertinence of family and wore the wrong clothes. Punishing him for it could look like an overreaction, and the Fire Lord would fall even further in esteem. 
This is what Che Jin does, Zoryu said. He is simply better at this game than I am. And day by day, he comes ever closer to fully winning it. I don't understand, Kyoshi said. So he wishes he was Fire Lord instead of you. Insults and opinions can't change the laws of succession. They can when they're backed by enough troops, Zoryu said wryly. Chajin was telling the truth. The Fire Nation struggles, Avatar. The harvests have been borderline failures for two years in a row. Fishermen pull up empty nets from the shores of First Lord's Harbor to Hanau. We had to call half of the pig chickens in the country due to sickness a few months ago. To most of the common folk, it appears as if my entire reign has been cursed by the spirits of the islands themselves. He rubbed the back of his neck, another fidget made ridiculous by his outfit. Now the noble clans might not believe in curses, but they do need revenues from their fiefdoms to pay their household warriors. If they can't, then I have a bunch of very angry, unemployed, highly trained fighters on my hands, suddenly willing to entertain the concept of Fire Lord Chejin. If I may, Jinpa said, respect for the will of the spirits is one thing, but the misfortunes you're describing seem beyond anyone's control. How can the people of the Fire Nation lay these troubles at your feet? Zoryu snorted. With great ease. My father was an unintelligent boar, but during his rule, the rains fell. The fields were green, and the fish were so plentiful, you could pluck them from the seas by hand. In contrast, I've had to empty the royal treasury to keep some of the poorer islands from going hungry. The Sawan homeland of Ma'inka is faring relatively well these days, which gives my brother even more credibility and influence. He appears to be the son of Cheiru, better favored by the spirits. Kyoshi was beginning to understand. You invited me here to bolster your reputation within your own country. You are correct, Avatar. Granted, I don't expect you to snap your fingers and have spirits fill the barns with grain. But I thought if you stood by me in solidarity during the holiday, it might help settle some of the unrest in the palace. He made a face of longing for something going right for once. Jin hijacked my plan and outmaneuvered me yet again. You pretty much blessed his future reign, Avatar. In front of the whole court, no less. I see, Atuat interjected, tapping her chin thoughtfully, as if she were the intended audience of the explanation. But you're talking about conflict like an inevitability. Welcome to the Fire Nation, everyone, Zoryu said with a grin that was equal parts cheekiness and deep, regretful sorrow. Hadon shot him a look that could punch its way through a stack of shields. Zoryu coughed. What I mean to say is the history of this crown tends to repeat itself. Fire Lord Yosor nearly lost the country to civil war and was only saved by Fire Avatar Sito. 
After a certain point, it becomes a matter of strategy over spirits, Hadon said. She stared at the pond, rolling her cane between her fingers. In times of upheaval, every lesser clan wants to ally themselves with the eventual winners. If the Sawan continue to wax in power and reputation, then at some point they'll have enough supporters to openly rebel against the throne. Chajin works the courts, while his mother Huazo consolidates wealth and power throughout the islands, Zodiu said. In the meantime, I lack the political and military resources to check them. The Standing Fire Army is an elite force, but it is small. To win in pitched battle against a clan as large as the Sawan, I'd need the rest of the noble houses committed in lockstep behind me. And that wouldn't happen without an extremely just cause. He puffed his cheeks in frustration. This is what I get for not wanting to spill the blood of my countrymen. I have borne the insults of Chajin as best I could, so as not to accelerate us toward civil war. I've traded away my image in bits and pieces, trying to delay the inevitable. But in the eyes of my people, I don't know how much more honor I have left to lose. Kyoshi pondered the trap the Fire Lord lay in. Jenju had once complained to her that the Earth Kingdom was too big to govern properly, but its size meant it could suffer grievous injuries in one quarter and not feel them in the other. The Earth Kingdom's nature was to persist, muddling through floods, famines, bandit uprisings, and incompetent governors. The Fire Nation, on the other hand, was of the right size to be transformed and consumed by its disasters. Kiyoshi might not have been an expert in court politics, but she was well-versed in the motions of violence and suffering. She could see the sky bison's view of war spreading across the map of the islands, and she understood how vicious a close-quarters fight for power could get. Zoryu seemed fairly shrewd to Kiyoshi, and decent enough at heart. It was just, for being one of the most powerful people in the world, he was remarkably powerless. He'd been handed a title by virtue of his birth, and a map to his life, where every route led clearly to a dark, terrible destination. She could sympathize. We need to engineer a response, Hadon said. Chajin went too far tonight. There's plenty of time left in the evening to show him and the rest of the guests where the line is. She spun around to march back to the party, but the sudden motion left her wobbling. Atuat grabbed her before she fell. You need to rest, the doctor said gently. You're done for the night. I'll take you inside. Hadon shook her head and gripped her cane tighter. The children can't be left alone. Look what happened already. Atuat's presence seemed to explode in size. Gone was the unserious, diminutive woman, and in her stead rose an implacable spirit of the North itself. That's funny, she declared. 
I thought I heard one of my patients back-talking me on a health matter just now. It must have been the wind. Hadon glowered at her friend, but like a master waterbender, Atuat calmly rode the storm until it petered out. Finally, Hadon sighed in surrender. Fine. Monk, Atuat said. Help me help her back, will you? Jinpa, acclimated to taking orders from people he just met, gently grasped Hadon by the arm. He and the doctor led her back to the palace. Forget trying to rebuke Cheijin for now, then, Hadon called over her shoulder. Don't do anything until we can come up with a plan. Stick with neutral Jing. Kiyoshi watched them leave, fascinated. Someone had managed to cow the headmistress, the woman whom both Rangi and Fire Lord Zodiu feared. By this logic, Sifu Atuat must have answered only to the moon and ocean spirits themselves. Looks like the children are on their own, Zodiu said, rubbing his eyes. Kiyoshi looked around. The sudden departure of Heiran and Atuat had put into stark contrast the relative youth of their remaining group. Most of the nobles attending the party tonight were the same age as Rangi's mother, or older. I suppose we have to go back, Zodiu said. Though I'd personally rather spend the rest of the evening reading or playing pie show. Do you play Avatar? I am asked that often. She couldn't keep the note of touchiness out of her voice. Across the four nations, people equated skill at the game with wisdom. It made her feel like her lack of skill at it was a character flaw. The answer is no. Zodio winced. I didn't mean anything by it. I became acquainted with your predecessor over the game. She had to take a moment to understand he was talking about Yoon, not Kuruk. You do realize Yoon wasn't the avatar before me, technically speaking. The corners of Zoryu's mouth turned in opposite directions. The fire sages would censure me for saying this, but in a certain way, he was avatar enough. Master Yoon burnished my image at court, and pulled more diplomatic strings from me than any of my ministers. And he made me forget my station in a good way. He had a talent for that, Rangi said. Her eyes were lost somewhere among the reflections in the pond. His visits to the palace were the only time I didn't feel like I was so alone, Zodiu said. But I understand he was your friend before he was mine. My condolences to you both. The world is poorer without him. Such a basic sentiment, and yet so rare. Kiyoshi could count on one hand the sages in the Earth Kingdom who grieved for Yoon, the person, instead of distancing themselves from Yoon, the mistake. Thank you, she said, her throat drying out a little. Maybe one day... I can be as much of a help to you as he was. I mean, given how gravely you've insulted me tonight, there's nowhere to go but up. 
Zodiu said with a glare she realized was meant to be a wink. He and Yoon even had similar senses of humor. Kiyoshi relaxed for the first time tonight. By no one's standards but hers, she and the Fire Lord had gotten off to a good start. The smile vanished from her face when she considered how to break the news to Zodiu that the Earth Kingdom's preferred version of events was a lie. She looked at Rongi, who bit her lip. Yoon being alive was too much to drop on Zoryu tonight, Kyoshi decided. Perhaps once they found more leads. There was no point in telling the Fire Lord that their friend had been swallowed up by the mainland, forgotten, until they could do something about it. The three of them walked back to the party. Rangi occasionally tugging on the back of Kyoshi's robes to make sure she followed the requisite distance behind Zoryu. There was a completeness to their formation she appreciated. She remembered Chancellor Daiden's warning about the flowers. Lord Zoryu, she said. Is the Kyoso clan sigil the winged peony, by any chance? Yes. That's the symbol of my mother's family. Why do you ask? She told him about the stencils on the portrait of his father. The Sawan's flower ascendant over the Kyosos. Zodiu swore in a manner very unbecoming of a head of state and clawed the air like he wanted to strangle someone. Wonderful. Now the royal artists are disrespecting me, he said. Chajin must have struck a deal with them. I'll have to replace the painters and have the images covered before any Kyoso hardliners see it and go berserk. Cheijin's other goal is to provoke someone in the Kyoso clan into committing an inexcusable act of violence against a Sawan. Then he has the just cause for starting a conflict. History would say he was defending his honor. Zodiu sighed. Clan rivalries have been a major impediment to the progress of the Fire Nation since its inception. My mother's side of the family despises the Sawan and would rather burn the country down than accept Chajin as their ruler. Sometimes I wish I could abdicate. If it weren't for the violence the Kyoso would create in my wake. Kyoshi continued to be surprised by Zoryu's frankness. He was less power-hungry than some small-time mayors she'd met in the Earth Kingdom. It's a very air-nomad idea, she said. Running away, following the path of negative Jing. Maybe it's a wise course. She heard the smack of Rongi's hand colliding with her own forehead. Spirits of the islands, Kyoshi, you can't just encourage the Fire Lord to abdicate. Please don't tell your mother I said that, Lieutenant, Zodiu said, suddenly and genuinely worried. She'd beat the idea out of me. I still break out in cold sweats when I think of her training programs. Kiyoshi snickered. It had been a very long time since she'd connected to anyone her age. It was strange to think she could relax around a smuggling gang and the ruler of the Fire Nation, but nothing in between. We're getting closer to the party, Rongi lilted under her breath. So could I please ask the two most important people I will ever serve in my life to start acting appropriately? 
The Avatar and the Fire Lord straightened up, neither wanting to incur her wrath. Evening had settled, and torches had been lit to cast a gentle glow over the festivities. The crowd was still dense, forming a grove of red silks over the pavilion. The only sound was the chirping of insects drifting over the warm air. A peaceful scene. Stop, Kyoshi said. It was a Dao phase suspicion that made her come to a halt, but the feeling was strong. Something's off. What is it? Zodiu said. I don't hear anything. Rongi had noticed it too. Exactly. It's too quiet. She slid in front of Kyoshi and Zodiu, the marching order of rank no longer as important as protecting her charges. The conversations that filled the air earlier had completely died out. The nobles were standing still, silently watching them arrive. Zoryu had talked about a tipping point where he lost too many supporters, and the clans turned against him. But there was no way it could have happened while they were gone. Could it? Do you know what's going on here? She whispered to Zoryu. He shook his head. Kyoshi advanced on her own for a better look. The men and women of the court were angry and confused, but most of all, they were utterly terrified. They stood at fearful attention, rigid like their lives depended on it. A crying waiter moved to wipe a tear, but quickly caught himself, snapping his arms back to his side. A sickening familiarity bloomed in the pit of Kyoshi's stomach. She'd seen this kind of behavior once before, when the pirate queen of the Eastern Sea had plucked Earth Kingdom natives from their villages and forced them to do her bidding upon pain of death. What's wrong with them? Zodiu called over Rangi's shoulder. Why are they acting like that? They're hostages, said a familiar voice. How else are they supposed to act? Kiyoshi felt her chest being squeezed by powerful, invisible jaws, sharp fangs threatening to pierce her through in every direction. He hadn't spoken at the tea house in Chinchow. Hearing him now, after so long, was an incantation that slowed her senses. Up high, Yoon sat on the edge of the Avatar's dais, letting his feet dangle over the side. He was dressed for the occasion in fine robes of green and black, looking every bit like a secret prince out of Earth Kingdom fables, hidden until the moment of his glorious ascension. Except for his one hand. It was still stained a rotting gray, like a dead thing affixed to his body. Yoon beamed at her, the same easy smile she knew from her dreams and nightmares alike. It's good to see you again, Kyoshi. The Crash For all her desperate wishing, Kyoshi had never considered what she would actually say to Yoon once she found him. He had been like the peak of a mountain, visible when she closed her eyes attainable so long as she ignored the impassable terrain in between them. Now that he was here, she was too afraid to speak. 
the wrong word could pierce the illusion and send him away. If you're wondering what I'm doing here, I have a standing invitation to attend any and all festivals of Sito from my good friend, the Fire Lord, Yun said. He waved cheerfully at Zodu and then feigned disappointment at the bewildered silence he received in return. Oh, come on, Zodu. Don't tell me the offer was rescinded simply because you thought I was dead. Yoon, Rangi said. Get down from there, now. She was both calm and stern, as if she'd caught him picking fruit from a tree he didn't own. But at the same time, she also shifted more of her body in between him and the Fire Lord. Yoon noticed the motion and gave her an unreadable smile. Hi to you too, Rongi. Let's go inside, Yoon, she said. We'll talk. He scrunched his nose. That would have been nice, but I'm afraid I've already committed to a different line of play. He pointed to a lady in a voluminous pink gown near the dais, who shuddered at his attention. Madam, give a curtsy to my friends, will you? The woman sniffled and lifted the hem of her skirts. Underneath, her feet had sunk into the ground, the earth swallowing her up to the ankles. Kiyoshi whipped around, looking at the other guests. Their long formal robes hid their feet from sight. But there were inches of bunched up cloth puddled around every single one of them. The entire party had stepped into quicksand under the control of her friend's earthbending. You have to hand it to Fire Nation folk, Yun said to Kiyoshi. I threatened them once and explained that if they moved or made any noise, I'd make them regret it. And you know what? They were smart enough to comply. I didn't have to make any examples out of them. Don't you just love the discipline of these people? His expression darkened. Earth Kingdom citizens would have blustered and yelled, How dare you? Don't you know who I am? I swear, Kiyoshi, our countrymen can be so annoying sometimes. I would have just... He squeezed his hands, making a snapping, twisting motion. It was a gesture of frustration, similar to the one Zodiu had play-acted earlier. Only this time, Yoon had a whole garden full of people in his grasp. The woman in pink screamed as she sank farther into the ground, up to her waist. How could he do this? Holding people hostage was a line Kyoshi thought she and Yoon shared, a distinction between them and their foes. Tagaka's slaving raid had been what provoked Yoon to confront her. Kyoshi, Rangi shouted. They'd been through enough together for Kyoshi to know exactly what Rangi was trying to communicate. Do something. Unfreeze. Now is your chance. Take him down. But her body wouldn't move with the same certainty as Rangi's. Kyoshi had to fight her paralysis simply to get her fans out. While she fumbled with her weapons, Yoon leaped over her head to the ground and slipped into the frozen crowd. Kiyoshi ran after him, cursing herself for such a clumsy, terrible draw. Wong would have disowned her from his operatic lineage had he witnessed it. She moved through the forest of people and felt the weight of their stares on her, some pleading with her to save them, many furiously accusing her of bringing this misery and humiliation to their door. So. 
Kiyoshi. She spun around, swinging her closed fan in a backhand strike. Yun evaded the blow by leaning back, using a nearby Fire Nation minister as cover, the way a swordsman fighting a duel in a bamboo grove might use the plants as a check on his opponent's blade. Kiyoshi barely halted her motion in time before she cracked the poor man across the mouth. Yun glanced at her fan, and then her, his eyes wide, his posture still angled. Well, this is a first for our friendship, he said. You just tried to hurt me. She ignored the burning sting in her cheeks and thrust her weapon at his chin. But he swayed effortlessly to avoid it. She knew he'd received unarmed combat training, from Rangi herself perhaps, and it showed in his decisive movements. She aimed a series of alternating stabs at his head and body. Really? he said, dancing with her like he'd been born a non-bending fighter. After I dealt with Jinju for you, this is the thanks I get. The tips of her fans wavered. Yoon had earthbent a rock through Jinju's chest, but it was Kiyoshi who'd held him in place. Remember the look on his face as he died? Yoon grinned as if he were reminiscing over fire lilies instead of the time the two of them killed a man together. Oh, I'd bottle it if I could. In Chinchow? Yoon had fulfilled Kiyoshi's intent. Watching him remember the deed and savor it so was like staring into a mirror that revealed her own ugliness. She couldn't escape the crinkles of Yoon's eyes, the satisfied contours of his mouth. Had she looked the same standing in front of Janju's body? She noticed a fire navy officer behind Yoon inhale deeply through his nose seeking to aid her with a precision shot of fire from his fingers or mouth. He was trying to offer her another opening. Kiyoshi made eye contact with the uniformed man and shook her head. It was too risky. She had to talk her friend down. Why are you doing this? She shouted. Tell me what it is you want. The reversion to their old roles calmed him, the servant trying to meet the master's needs. Kiyoshi, he said gently, I want the same gift you received. Avatarhood? The house in Yokoya? One she couldn't give, the other she cared so little about, she'd have volunteered to draw up a transfer deed right here and now. He saw her confusion and leaned in to clarify. Justice, Kiyoshi, he whispered. I want justice. Everyone who lied to me is going to suffer the consequences. But Jenju is already, he shook his head. Jenju is only the biggest name on a long list. Your mistake, Kiyoshi, was that you stopped at him. My mistake was that I didn't save him for last. Yoon knelt down and placed his palm on the grass. He tilted his head and hummed. The guards have come out and surrounded the party. Finally, I expected faster reactions from the Fire Nation's best. Kiyoshi's eyes widened. She thought she'd been buying time, but he'd been wasting hers. The whole spectacle of trapping the court where they stood had been a distraction to empty the palace. 
I think it's time I paid respects to my old Sifu, Yun said. He winked at Kiyoshi and dove into the ground. The hard-packed soil swallowed him as easily as the surface of a lake. She threw herself after him, scrabbling at the hole he left behind. It was filled with loose and crumbly castings, like a Shershu's tunnel. Yoon's disappearance was the signal for general chaos to erupt. The nobles burst into screams, flailing and yanking at their legs, trying to free themselves. Palace guards flooded in between the rows of trapped guests. Kyoshi squeezed her way toward the edge of the gathering, shaking off the forest of hands trying to clutch onto her like a life raft. Rangi! In her panic, she nearly elbowed an angry nobleman in the face before emerging into the clear once more. Rangi! In the distance, she saw Rangi hustling Zoryu into the arms of an arriving squad. The dazed Fire Lord disappeared into a phalanx of spears and spikes. Only after Zoryu was safe inside the formation did she break away and run toward Kyoshi. Where is he? Rangi scanned the roiling crowd for Yoon. Where did he go? A long list. Everyone who lied to him. During their time together in Yokoya, Genju had filled Yoon's head with untruths about who he was and what he could do. So had someone else. Someone who demanded that he firebend. Heiran. He went inside the palace, Kyoshi yelled. Rangi, he's going after your mother. Rangi was a blur. She nearly scorched several bystanders with the jets of flame that shot from her hands. She extended her arms behind her, using the force to boost the speed of her bounding steps. Kiyoshi followed as fast as she could. There was no use telling Rangi to wait. One of them had to reach Haydon before Yoon did. They tore past startled and indignant nobles, many of whom wanted to accost the Avatar for the harrowing experience they'd been put through tonight. As they neared the palace entrance, she saw the exit of Yoon's tunnel. He'd already made it through the doors. They barreled into the hallway, scraping paint off the walls and leaving smoke trails on the floors. Rangi led her to a section of the guest wing near the portrait gallery that Kyoshi hadn't visited yet. Plainer than the Avatar's quarters, but still lavishly decorated with baubles of Fire Nation history. When they came to the room at the end, Rangi brought her hands around and blasted the door open, nearly taking it off its hinges. The force of their entrance scattered a tea set across the floor and sent Jinpa's robes flying over his head. From the smell of roasted flour in the air, he had been in the middle of serving Atuat and Heiran tea in the air nomad style, using borrowed ingredients from the palace kitchen. Atuat was the first one to stop screaming in surprise. What is wrong with you two? the doctor said. You could have injured us. Did you see him? Rangi said. Was he here? See who? Yoon, Yoon is here, in the palace. The name didn't fall into place for the doctor. Jinpa, once he yanked the upturned layers of orange and yellow cloth off his face, looked to Kyoshi, confused that the man she'd been writing so many letters about in the Earth Kingdom was in the Fire Nation. And Heiran simply closed her eyes to wait. Kyoshi and Rangi both spun around to face the doorway. It smoked from their entrance. 
The clamor of bells could be heard, bouncing through the hallways, signaling an intrusion. The seconds passed by like cricket snails. It occurred to Kiyoshi that if Yun didn't know the way to Heiran's room, they'd certainly left markers for him, a scorched, smashed path leading right to his target. But the assault never arrived. They heard a prolonged screech that sounded like a bird being clumsily slaughtered. Rongi cocked her ear at the sound. That came from the portrait gallery. Stay here, Kiyoshi said. She ventured carefully into the ruined hallway and stepped as quietly as she could through the maze of corridors, using what she could remember of the displayed antiques as her landmarks. She arrived at the gallery and was greeted by the sight of Yun standing in the middle of the vast room, holding the limp body of Lu Beifong by his robes. The old man's got a set of lungs on him, Yun said, digging a finger of his free hand into his ear. He dropped Lu to the floor with a thud, the sound of a head bouncing against a hard surface, wrenching a shudder from Kiyoshi. I took a wrong turn, Yun said. You beat me to Heron because I took a wrong turn. Can you believe it? Yoon's face distorted with a fury Kiyoshi had never seen on him, as if losing his way in the palace was a worse experience than any he'd suffered. I've been here before, way more times than you. That awful red room used to be mine. Funny how fate works, isn't it? But at least I got a consolation prize. He kicked Lu's body, folding it across the floor. The leader of the Beifong family had been Jenju Sifu, which meant he was considered Yun's as well, by the rules of teaching lineage and deference. Did you know that without the old Coot's backing, Jenju would never have been able to declare me the Avatar? Yun said, calmed by the act of disrespect. Lu was partly responsible for what happened to us, in his way. Ending him was good, but Heiran will be even better. This wasn't him. This couldn't be the same person. The cave he'd disappeared into had spit out a simulacrum, an inhuman spirit wrapped in Yoon's skin. She's Rangi's mother, Kyoshi cried. And Rangi's our friend. There are costs to this, Kiyoshi. I thought you knew that. After Jenju, I thought you understood the price of justice. He spoke with such concern, like he was comforting a victim of inevitability. A person trapped before the flood, the earthquake. You should take Rangi away, so she doesn't have to watch her mother die. I plan on finishing my business in the Fire Nation before the end of the festival. It's your choice if the two of you are here for it. Kyoshi heard footsteps clattering from the other end of the gallery. Chancellor Dairin had rallied a contingent of guards, blocking off the far exit. From the way his eyes darted to the walls, his first priority was the safety of the paintings, not the well-being of anyone near them. One of the soldiers stepped forward to launch a barrage of fire fists. No! Dairin screamed, hurling himself over the woman's arm. No flames! 
Yun stood trapped between the Avatar and the palace guard. Stand down, the squad captain shouted at him. You're surrounded, and you have nothing to bend with. He glanced at Kyoshi one last time, before his face layered itself back into the public figure. The charmer, the showman. He held his hands up for his new audience. As a matter of fact, I do. Yoon beckoned with his fingers, and on one side of the gallery, the fire avatars began to dissolve. The crowns of their heads dripped down the walls, leaving clear wooden backings behind. The brilliant colors of the portraits bled away from their stencils, like wax thrown onto a bonfire, and pooled into indistinguishable clumps of reddish-brown that flowed through the air into Yoon's waiting hands. The pigment in the paint, Yoon explained. It's usually made of ground-up rocks. <gasps> no, Dairin screamed, his fears coming to light in a way he could never have imagined. <gasps> no, no, no! The guards behind him froze, stricken with horror at what they were witnessing. This was an assault on something deeper than their own lives. As if bolstered by his celebration, mighty Avatar Sito resisted the longest. But he too fell, the paint of his hat running down his long face, merging with the dark colors of his shoulders, then his waist, then his knees. His great stone stamp flaked away into cinnabar dust, joining the growing mass of pigment hovering under Yoon's control. One side of the gallery was now completely blank. Instead of the wise faces of their avatars, the portraits of the fire lords stared at an empty wall. Yoon held the finest work of the Fire Nation in a defiled, roiling blob above his head. And then, like a gleeful child permitted to break a jar, he hurled it on the floor. The pigment exploded in a storm of hardened pellets and sharp fragments and blinding mist. Kiyoshi managed to shield her eyes before flying shards embedded themselves in her forearms. A chunk of paint hit her so hard in the midsection that it knocked her on her back and snapped a patch of links in her chainmail, metal pouring out of her like spilled guts. Her windless gasps did nothing but coat her mouth with red dust. By the time the blurriness in her vision cleared and the vapors from the paint explosion subsided, Yoon was gone. Aftermath The voices around her merged into a whirlpool of indistinguishable noise. Kiyoshi crawled her way toward the moans of the wounded on the other side of the room, dragging trails through the dark powder coating the floor. The palace guards had been wearing armor, but mainly ceremonial pieces. She saw lacerated faces, the telltale clutching of broken ribs. And those were the lucky ones, like her. Some of them weren't moving at all. Chancellor Dayden had been completely unprotected. She found his body peppered with tiny holes, each one welling with blood. She tried to staunch his wounds with her hands, but couldn't cover them all. She had no water to even attempt healing him. More guards poured in from every side, shouting in confusion. Yoon must have already escaped their encirclement. 
Kiyoshi heard more than a few wails of anguish from the hardened fighters at the damage to their culture and history. Out of the way, she heard Atuat Bella. Give me space. The water tribe doctor slid to her knees beside Kiyoshi. Instead of pulling out water from the skin at her hip, she prodded the fallen guards around Kiyoshi with her bare hands, examining each one in turn for only the briefest of moments before moving on to the next. Why aren't you helping them? Kiyoshi yelled, her hands still pressed to Dairin's torso. There's too many wounded. I have to triage who can be saved and who can't. The Chancellor is dying. Atuat took one look at Dairin. He's already gone, she said with such dismissive neutrality, it made Kyoshi think she was staring at Tiegwai the assassin himself. Don't waste your time on him. Kyoshi had read the woman completely wrong. She'd assumed the great doctor would fight for every breath of every victim. Atua's friendship with Hadon had made it seem like feeling emotions for those you healed was the key to their health. But here? She was clinically prioritizing, deciding fates quicker than she'd chosen what to drink at the party. Kiyoshi took her hands off Dairin's motionless body, his robes sticking to her palms from the blood. She didn't know what blessings fire nationals gave to the dead. She hoped her whispered apology to the poor man would do. Atuat unslung her water skin and tossed it at her. If you know any healing, do what you can. For the living. The doctor placed her hands over the chest of the unconscious guard she was examining. The air around them went cold, cold enough that Kyoshi's flesh prickled. What are you doing? Kyoshi asked, fighting off a shiver. Lowering his temperature. Atuat's temples pulsed in concentration. It slows every process of the body down, including death. But if I don't stop at the exact right time, his fluids will turn to ice and destroy his own organs from the inside out. After a few chilling sweeps of her hands, she shifted over to the next guard and began the process anew. I've never heard of such a technique, Kyoshi said. Freezing liquids into solids was a basic skill of waterbending. Even she could do it by now. But she'd never considered the subtleties that lay in between water and ice nor the blurring lines between the elements inside and outside of a person's body. That's because it requires too much raw power for most benders, and not damaging anyone with such power takes too much control. Misuse the technique, apply force in the slightest excess, and it kills. So perhaps you should shut up and let me focus. Kiyoshi took the water from the skin and worked on who she could. She mostly knew how to stop bleeding and pop joints back into their sockets, and there was call enough in the room for her simple skills. As she healed the superficial injuries and glanced at the ruined fire avatar wall, a single thought pounded through her head. It wasn't Yoon who did this. It couldn't be. If she wasn't sure before, the heartlessness toward Rongi and Hadon, the wanton vandalism, the offhanded slaughter of Lu and Chancellor Dairin made her certain now. This was the work of the spirit. The foul, glowing apparition who'd identified her as the Avatar and dragged Yoon into the darkness of a mountain had seized his mind.
No one could go through that kind of experience unchanged. The Yun she knew would never be so cruel and destructive. Atuat finished chilling the last of the victims she deemed savable. She swatted the leg of a nearby guard. Take them to the hospital ward, but be careful, she commanded. They're not actually healed yet, but your surgeons can start working on them now. I'll be there to help soon. Kiyoshi only had one question for the woman. Can you teach me this technique? Saving lives, pulling people back from the brink of death? There was no worthier use of bending in her opinion. Just the ability to keep someone stable until a real doctor arrived could have made such a difference in her past. Atuat snorted in derision. At first, Kiyoshi thought she might have accidentally belittled how much study it took. But it turned out Atuat viewed it from a different angle. When it comes to healing, I can teach anyone anything. In a fraction of the time it normally takes, she said. Whether I have a student of the right qualities is a different matter. They got to their feet only to see the leader of Zoryu's personal security detail waiting for the Avatar. The armored man's face roiled with bottled silent anger, as if he'd been handpicked to represent the outrage of an entire nation. Only his duty kept him from bursting at the seams. We can talk about it later, Atwat muttered to Kiyoshi. I think you have more pressing matters at the moment. Kiyoshi followed the guard captain through the palace. They passed a torrent of furious nobles heading in the opposite direction, a crowd that had been recently dismissed from an unsatisfactory meeting. The courtiers, who had taken so much care in their order of speech during the party, muttered and hissed to themselves about never having been so humiliated and a child being a disgrace to the crown. Some of the most livid men and women wore the winged peony, which meant they were Kyoso, the same clan as Zoryu's mother. The captain stopped at a set of massive bronze doors and indicated he wasn't allowed to go any farther. Where are my companions? Kiyoshi asked. The lieutenant and the headmistress. She had a feeling she'd need the guidance of fire nationals for what came next. Coordinating the palace lockdown, came the gruff reply. Being useful unlike you, was the additional silent commentary. Kiyoshi pushed the doors open herself, revealing the throne room, the same place where the Fire Lord received his war council. The ceiling of the Great Hall was supported by four towering red pillars with dragons of painted gold spiraling around them to the heavens. In the back, up a series of steps, lay the throne of the Fire Nation a flat, blocky platform that would have given the sitter little comfort. A giant sculpted dragon, weaving through the coils of its own body, hung over it, threatening to burst from the wall. She guessed that if she peeked under the red silk carpet that covered the entire middle third of the floor, she might find yet more dragons staring back. A straggling minister sidestepped his way past her, the last remnant of an audience she'd missed. It was the man she'd nearly struck with her fan. He glared at Kiyoshi and stormed out, leaving her in the throne room with only two other people.
the Fire Lord, and his brother. It was not a good moment for a stranger to walk in on. Zoryu was ashen and stooped, his eyes half shut as if the light were causing him pain. Jajin stood tall by his side, regal and calm. An artist capturing the scene could easily have gotten their subjects mixed. She waited for Zoryu to dismiss Jajin, but the order never came. He's alive, the Fire Lord said once the doors closed. Yoon was alive, and not a single member of your country thought to tell me? Did everyone in the Earth Kingdom decide to ignore this fact together? He didn't know how right he was. And Kiyoshi was to blame more than any Earth sage. She couldn't bring herself to answer. Why would he do this? Zoryu's cry was directed at the sky-bound spirits as much as Kiyoshi. Why? He was attacking the people who wronged him, she whispered. Lu Beifong, Heiran, the people who told him he was the Avatar. Vengeance sounded so alien a reason, coming from her lips, even though she knew exactly the depth and shape it could take. I was briefed on what happened in the gallery, Zoryu said. How many are dead? Kyoshi forced herself to remember how many bodies Atuat pointedly ignored on the floor. Lu, Chancellor Dairin, two guards, possibly more, depending if they make it through the night. Zoryu slumped in the corner of his throne. The act made him look like a child, trying to hide from getting called on in a classroom. The mantle of being the Fire Lord was too heavy for him right now. The Chancellor didn't deserve this, he muttered. None of them did. Chajin reacted to the list of casualties much differently. This is terrible, he said, rubbing his chin with exaggerated strokes. A high-ranking official of the Fire Nation killed in the palace? A foreign dignitary under the Fire Lord's hospitality murdered? Not to mention the destruction of our cultural heritage, and the humiliation of the entire court in the garden. The disgraces to our country keep mounting. I can't imagine what would happen if the intruder had successfully assassinated the headmistress of the Royal Academy. Kyoshi noticed he didn't count the fallen guards. She'd had enough of trying to play by decorum. What exactly are you doing here? She snapped at Cheijin. Representing the voice of the fire sages in response to this heinous assault upon our nation, he replied. And if I can get a word in for the Sawan clan as well, then so be it. Chajin stepped down from the stairs leading to the throne. He probably shouldn't have been standing on them in the first place. I'd be lying to my fire lord if I claimed to see a way out of this disaster. We've been gravely dishonored as a people. There are calls for retaliation against the Earth Kingdom. The Earth Kingdom? She was going to say the Earth Kingdom wasn't responsible, but couldn't finish the sentence. The Earth Kingdom didn't send Yun to harm your country. I know. Kindness oozed from Chajin's every word. I spent the last twenty minutes assuring the court our friends across the sea are not to blame. It took some doing, but I've convinced them. He had no need to lie.
If everything she heard tonight was true, it benefited Chajin to direct the court's anger at the Fire Lord, not at a foreign power. And it should have been Zoryu doing the diplomatic work. Kyoshi looked to the Fire Lord, but Chajin's presence had compressed him into a younger sibling, and nothing but. Unable to speak over his elder. The enraged Kyoso were likely angry about Chajin taking charge of the situation. Fire Lord, may I speak to your brother alone? She asked. She'd only just arrived, but it was clear she wasn't going to get anything useful from Zoryu right now. His head bobbed in an indiscernible direction. Zoryu, Chajin crooned like he was singing his younger brother to sleep. May we be dismissed? A feeble wave. Good enough. Kyoshi slipped through the heavy doors, and Chajin joined her outside. I'm sorry you had to see that, Chajin said. He looked down the long hallway to confirm it was empty. My little brother's not the best under pressure. Kyoshi examined his face. I still can't get over how much the two of you look alike for not being from the same mother. I've been told I could serve as his political decoy. We still have those here in the Fire Nation, you know. The Fire Army keeps tabs on random villagers who resemble important figures. I don't think any of them have been pulled into service in the last century, though. Zoru has not impressed me so far, Kiyoshi said. Maybe he should be your decoy instead of you his. Jin's brow lifted at the implication. In truth, I fear for him, he said carefully. If he can't bring the perpetrator to justice swiftly, the clans will no longer consider him fit to be Fire Lord. What would happen then? He'd be replaced. Jin paused to gauge her reaction before continuing. I have no idea with whom, mind you. But no Fire Lord in history has ever left the throne and lived very long afterward. Kyoshi nodded slowly. Who's to say that wouldn't be for the best? No one wants loose ends lying around. A single unopposed popular ruler would be much better for the Fire Nation. She leaned in and whispered into his ear. I know what I said at the party. But really, the Avatar works with whoever wears the crown. It doesn't have to be a weakling like Zodiu. Jin grinned. It sounds like I can count on your backing should the worst come to pass. It did sound like that. Answer me this, Kiyoshi said. Once your fire lord, what will you do about your country's fortunes? His smile faltered. I'm sorry? What will you do? You told me yourself how much trouble the Fire Nation is in. What actions will you take to help your people? Jin shrugged. I'll think of something. I'm sure once a real ruler sits upon the throne, our people's problems will resolve themselves. I see. So you'll be better than your brother, and the natural order of things will be restored on their own. Yes, exactly. He delighted in her understanding.
Avatar, I am correcting a mistake. This country is mine by rights, no matter what my father twisted the law into declaring. I will get what is owed to me, and if a little blood must flow, then so be it. The remnants of Che Jin's grin melted away. His eyes narrowed. Avatar, are you playing me right now? Playing? No, I was forming an opinion. The court intrigue of the Fire Nation might have been too complex for her to navigate perfectly, but judging character was simpler. In Che Jin, she saw a man who wanted power for its own sake and was willing to burn his own country to get it. How utterly familiar. You know what to do with such men, cackled Lao Ga. It upset her to no end that she could imagine his whispers better than she could hear the voices of her previous lives. She wasn't going to weed out a dignitary of a foreign nation like her former Sifu might have wanted. But she was going to do everything in her power to prevent an entitled, short-sighted man from instigating a civil war for his own benefit. It was her duty as the Avatar. Che Jin sensed her resolve hardening, which side she was coming down on. Nothing I've said to you will hold up at court or in court. Report me, and it would be your word against mine. You're the Avatar, but you're an outsider. I know. I'll get more on you eventually. He frowned at her directness. Mark my words. The attack upon the palace will lead to Zodiu's downfall if it goes unanswered. Support my brother if you must. It will only delay the inevitable. Not even the Avatar can fight history. Kyoshi turned and walked down the hall. We have a saying in the Fire Nation, Jin called after her. Dishonor is like a bird in flight. It has to land somewhere. It was as she expected then. Peace in the Fire Nation, protecting Hadon. All of it pivoted around a single axis. Yoon. The Ritual Kiyoshi drifted on her great raft of a bed in the red ocean of the Avatar's quarters. She couldn't tell how many times she'd been woken up throughout the night by her dreams. Each time her eyes opened, she would stare up at the painted ceiling, her mind racing until her vision blurred into the patterns of swirling crimson. She was wide awake and already dressed when a servant came to rouse her. Nor was she surprised to hear that Rangi and Heiran were also up and waiting to speak with her. The servant guided her to a balcony on an upper floor, set with a small table for breakfast. The sunrise view was marred by the gray wall that ringed the palace, but they were high up enough to see light peeking over the edges of the caldera. The Fire Nation capital residing in a dormant volcano was common knowledge, but Kiyoshi had never considered what the view would be like from inside the sunken depression. She could have been sitting on the palm of a giant, its stone fingers threatening to close around her. Rangi and Hadon were already wolfing down their breakfast of bland gruel and salted vegetables. 
The blazing spices and oils that had slathered the party food now lay to the side of the table in small pots to be added to taste. Even fire nationals took a break from hot flavors first thing in the morning. Kiyoshi was always amused by how swiftly Rangi plowed through her meals, her delicate features at odds with her voracious consumption. Her mother was no different. They'd probably developed a habit in the barracks of eating as fast as possible to avoid wasting time. Sit and eat first, Heiron said to Kiyoshi, pointing at the food with her chopsticks. We're going to need our energy, and I hear you're in the habit of skipping meals. Rangi watched Kiyoshi's every bite, a fresh humiliation brought on by Jinpa's tattling. The avatar was no longer trusted to feed herself properly. I am going to get you back for this, monk, Kiyoshi thought as she chewed and swallowed under Rangi's scrutiny. Somehow, someday. Once they finished, Heiran leaned back in her chair and let silence fall over the table. She watched the light extend its reach across the grounds. So, she said, Yoon wants to kill me. The sound of Rangi's knuckles tightening could be heard in the morning stillness. But Hadon stated it dryly, like she was noting the color of their napkins. A detail in an official report. He escaped not only the palace, but a full lockdown of the caldera, she went on. All ports in the capital have been closed. The festivities in Harbor City are on hold while the search continues house to house. No luck yet, though. Kiyoshi was both impressed and disturbed by how efficiently the Fire Nation could conduct a manhunt. Maybe there's another angle that could help us find him. She told them her conclusion that had germinated in the gallery and taken full root overnight. She'd discussed the possibility with Rangi, but Hadon was hearing it for the first time. You think the spirit that identified you as the Avatar has possessed Yun, Hadon said. Kiyoshi nodded. Jenju called it Father Glowworm. He said it fought with Kuruk in the past. This spirit could be controlling him, or maybe it altered his mind. She noticed Rangi frowned deeply, but put it aside for now. I've never heard the name, Hadon said. During the time our group spent together, spiritual excursions were never Kuruk's focus, to say the least. Kyoshi sorely wished people would stop dancing around Kuruk's tenure as the avatar with euphemisms. She didn't see what her predecessor had done to earn the favor. Back in Yukoya, I pulled apart Janju's libraries, searching for mentions of a spirit fitting the description, but found nothing. I was hoping you would have some recollection. Better to ask Kuruk himself. Kyoshi thought Heron was brushing her off, until she remembered she was supposed to be able to commune with her past lives. The statement was meant literally. It would have been foolish to hide her spiritual troubles any further, so she gritted her teeth and confessed. I can't, she said. I can't fully reach Kuruk or any other avatar. To her surprise, they weren't upset. Communing with their past lives is one of the most difficult and complex feats an avatar can perform, Hadon said. 
Successful methods and experiences have been known to vary between generations. I wouldn't advertise your problem, but I wouldn't beat yourself up about it either. Kiyoshi was relieved down to the bone. In one matter regarding her broken rocky avatarhood, at least one matter, she wasn't at fault. What a difference it made having someone older and wiser to give her advice. Hadon stared over the edge of the balcony and drummed her fingers against the table. I have an idea, she said. I know a friend of Kuruk's who spent more time with him after our original group went its separate ways. He used to be a fire sage stationed in the capital. But these days, he maintains a small shrine in North Chongling. He's an expert in spiritual matters. If anyone could give us answers, it's him. North Chongling? The town name held some meaning that Rongi disapproved of. We couldn't go to the real fire sages? They're in the pocket of the Sawan clan, Heiran said. The high sage is Cheijin's maternal great-uncle. But my contact might know more about this father glowworm creature, especially if it has a link to Kuruk. If the Avatar successfully fought it in the past, perhaps it can be defeated again now. The idea of her predecessor being useful to Kiyoshi was a new one, but it filled her with hope. Kuruk's friend could teach her how to break the spell Yun was under. She could save him. This was her edge, the one she'd been missing in the Earth Kingdom. We have to go to North Chungling, she said. Rangi slammed her fists on the table, clattering the empty dishes. The frustration building inside her since the beginning of the discussion had finally boiled over. Are the two of you listening to yourselves? She shouted. The palace was attacked, and you want to go on a wild spirit chase? Kiyoshi's optimism was too fragile to withstand any debate. She needed Rongi completely behind her, not throwing up resistance. How else are we going to get the old Yoon back? She snapped. Kiyoshi, he killed four people and defiled the palace. After what he did, there is no more old Yoon. She couldn't believe this. I'm telling you, he is possessed. Rongi's chair screeched as she rose to her feet. And a day ago, you weren't even sure of that. Lieutenant, Heron said, control yourself. No, mother, I won't. Her choice of words was a retort to Heron's use of rank. I'm not going to sit here calmly and listen to you entertain Kyoshi's wild guesses about spirits instead of coming up with a defensive plan for your own safety. I know you both feel terrible for what happened to Yoon. I do too. But after what we all saw, it would be utterly foolish to treat him like anything but the danger he is. There was only a limited amount of room on the balcony for Rangi to pace back and forth, but she made do. I mean, he shouldn't have been capable of half the things he did last night. He infiltrated the capital, murdered Lu, and single-handedly foiled the entire security force of the royal palace. It doesn't make sense. Yoon is a diplomat and a talented earthbender, not some kind of trained killer. He is, Hedon said. He is a trained killer. Rongi was caught in the middle of launching the next volley of her tirade, 
her finger crooked to the sky. What? As methodically as if she were donning armor before a battle, Hadon readied herself. She took several deep, controlled breaths. And then she told Kiyoshi and Rongi a story about Yoon they had never heard before. Immediately after finding Yoon and Makapu, Jenju started to fret. Daofei and corrupt politicians alike had profited greatly from the absence of the Avatar. Kuruk's early death showed how disastrous it could be for the world if the cycle were renewed at the wrong time. Yoon needed to be able to defend himself from attempts on his life. His physical safety wasn't Jenju's only concern. The new Avatar's legitimacy would be attacked with every underhanded trick in the book. Yoon and his allies would inevitably suffer from slander, extortion, theft of secrets. He would have to maintain constant vigilance against attempts to destabilize his era of Avatarhood. Yoon's enemies would come after him as spies, sowers of chaos, and assassins. And in Genju's eyes, there was no better protection than to make sure Yoon possessed those same skills himself. That had been Master Amok's role in Yokoya, Heiron explained. The mysterious waterbender had perfected his craft in the dark corridors of Ba Sing Se, where smiling princes attended feasts together by day and waged hidden wars of secrets and daggers against each other by night. Master Amak had not only trained Yun to resist poison, but also taught him how to use it. Atuat's brother had instructed him how to eliminate enemies with knife and bare hand. The lessons had been limited to theory, but like in every subject save firebending, Yun had shown to be a talented student. Kyoshi tried to reconcile what she was hearing with the boy she knew. Yun had abhorred Jenju's butchering of the Yellownecks, but he'd also mentioned how much he enjoyed learning from Master Amok. Jenju must have been slowly working on moving Yun from the abstract to the practical. He wanted another gravedigger and was willing to be patient to get it. I turned a blind eye because I thought it would be best for the Avatar's protection in the long run, Heron said. I am so sorry for what I allowed him to do to Yoon, she'd told Kiyoshi. She hadn't been referring to bending training. Rongi was quiet, and she was cold. No heat emanated from her body. Her face was like ice covering a river, frozen to a thickness that masked what flowed underneath. She despised assassins. When pushed to the brink, Rongi had allowed the Avatar to work with outlaws, but there was no world where she compromised her morals and her honor like her mother had. A spirit didn't turn Yoon into a monster, she whispered to Hadon. You did. I'm sorry. Rongi grabbed the table by its corners. She rose to her feet, her back muscles flexing as she lifted the heavy piece of furniture, dishes and cups sliding over the lacquered surface, and hurled the entire setting over the edge of the balcony. The morning air was heavy before the crash. By the time the table hit the ground below, 
and the sounds of wood groaning and porcelain splashing like raindrops reached them. Rongi was already leaving. Hadon made no move to stop her daughter. She sat across from Kiyoshi, as if this were a normal occurrence, a standard outburst. With nothing between their chairs to occupy the space, Kiyoshi felt overexposed. Is anyone hurt? Hadon asked calmly. Kiyoshi glanced over the railing and shook her head. Hadon pointed her chin at the door Rangi had vanished through. You should go talk to her. You might be the only person who can right now. I need you to confirm something first. Hadon read the tightness in the Avatar's frown. Kelsong didn't know. We took great pains to conceal such matters from him. He would have confronted the rest of us earlier had he found out. Kyoshi was grateful to hear it, but in no mood to forgive. And then maybe the rest of you would have killed him sooner, too. She didn't bother looking for a reaction in the older woman's eyes to see if she'd successfully wounded the last living member of Avatar Kuruk's companions. She got up to go look for Rangi. Kiyoshi ran into Jinpa first. He already knew a delicate situation was afoot. Mistress Rangi is in the stables, he said. I was grooming Yingyang when she came in and offered to assist. She uh, seemed like she needed solitude, so I let her take over. She told you to get lost, didn't she? Jinpa shrugged. I negative jinged it out of there before my robes started smoking. Just make sure she doesn't yank my bison's fur out by brushing too hard. Kyoshi followed his directions down the halls of the palace until she came to another garden-facing exit. It revealed a freestanding longhouse that smelled of fresh-cut hay. A gaggle of stable hands idled at a distance from the building, looking confused about what to do with their hands. Kiyoshi knew they'd been ordered away. Where they stood marked the edge of Rangi's blast radius. She went to the largest pen and saw Ying Yong, his fluffy bulk taking up most of the room inside. His saddle hung off his back at an angle, and only one side of his fur lay smooth and flat. He grunted at Kiyoshi as if to ask, Is someone going to finish the job? The sound of sniffling gave away Rangi's location. She found her by Ying Yong's second and third right legs, sitting on the hay-strewn floor, tucked into a ball. Kyoshi's instincts were to lean down and wrap the smaller girl in her arms. Why didn't you stop him? The kind of sharpness in Rangi's tone was rarely ever aimed at Kyoshi, but now it was out in full force. Who? Jenju? Yoon. Rongi looked up, her eyes red. I saw how close you got to him at the party, and you did nothing. Kiyoshi knew she was only lashing out from anger, but it still wasn't a fair hit. Nothing? He was standing in the middle of a crowd of hostages. So you waved your fans at him. Good try. You're the avatar, Kiyoshi. Did it ever occur to you to try bending? You had so many chances to drop him by force, and you didn't take them. 
I... She had no response for why she didn't try fighting Yoon with water or air. Hurting him with the elements, like she'd reflexively done to so many Daofei and Hatchet men, hadn't occurred to her. Looking back on it, even her strokes with her fans had been slow and hesitant. The shame inside Kiyoshi twisted into something hurtful. What should I have done then? Kill him in cold blood like I did Shuping on? Put him down like a rabid animal? He's our friend. Well, I'm glad you still have room to debate, Rongi shouted. I no longer get to decide how I feel about Yoon. He took that choice away from me. What if he hurts you, Kyoshi? What if he attacks us again and you hesitate and he hurts you? Kyoshi punched the wall over Rongi's head. He wouldn't. Dust trickled from the ceiling, catching the rays of the sun peeking into the stable. From where she sat, Rongi's voice turned smaller and younger. You have a hole in your robes that says otherwise. If I had convinced you not to wear your armor, we'd be in a very different place right now. You'd be seriously injured, or worse, and it would have been my fault. She lowered her eyes and curled her knees closer. I couldn't live with that. Any more than I could live with losing my mother again. I just got the two of you back. Kiyoshi slumped to the ground beside her. Rongi, I swear to you, I will do what it takes with Yoon. I won't let him harm anyone else, especially not your mother. Rongi examined every inch of Kiyoshi's face, looking for sincerity. She wiped the growing wetness from her own eyes before it became tears. When she opened her eyes in Atuat's hospital, I started to hope the past was done with us, Rongi said. I thought we could begin moving forward, like how the traditional Avatar calendar counts the days. Did you know it's technically the 6,454th day of the era of Kiyoshi? Counting the days by where they fell in an avatar's life was a formal and archaic method of timekeeping. It was mostly used by historians or trotted out during certain spiritual ceremonies. It doesn't feel like it, Kiyoshi muttered. It didn't seem like her avatarhood had ever legitimately begun. They sat there for a long time, saying nothing, wishing things were different. Kiyoshi broke the silence. You threw a table off the balcony. Rongi laughed, a strangled noise of release. I am in so much trouble. I could have killed someone, in the royal palace, no less. What if the Fire Lord had been walking underneath us? I no longer hold the title for worst breach of manners in the Four Nations, Kiyoshi said. And I am never, ever going to let you forget it. Rongi reached over and took her hand. Red scars traveled down Kiyoshi's wrist in wavy branching patterns, like the veins of a palm frond, a token from when she'd fought the lightning. For as long as you live, Rongi asked solemnly. Kiyoshi smiled and nodded. For as long as I live, 
Rangi pressed her lips to the healed skin on Kiyoshi's knuckles. The kiss sealed a promise to always give each other a hard time for the rest of their days. If Kiyoshi held any longing for the past, it was for those simpler moments when she was Rangi's greatest and only headache. Avatar, Lieutenant, are you in there? Zoryu called from outside. I request your presence regarding a certain matter. Rangi's head shot up from Kyoshi's shoulder. They looked at each other with growing panic. Maybe it had been a historically important table. They sidled past Ying Yong out of the pen. The attendants had been dismissed. The fire lord waited for them, wearing a lighter morning dress version of his robes. Kiyoshi wondered if it took as long for him to put on his clothes as it did for her to don her chain mail. I didn't acquit myself well last night, immediately after the incident, Zoryu said to her. He fought the urge to look at the curling, pointed toes of his shoes, instead of maintaining eye contact. I should have taken command of the situation. I should have been the one talking to you instead of Chajin. I swear, when it comes to my brother, I feel like my wits leave me. Certain people, they turn you into who you were before. Zoryu had his flaws, but he was a ruler who cared about his nation. With Kiyoshi's help, he could grow into his crown. You don't need to apologize, she said. Good, because apparently strong fire lords aren't allowed to, he sighed. I've been speaking with my advisors, and the situation remains dire. The only chance I have of keeping the court from turning on me is apprehending Yun. Then we want the same thing, Kiyoshi said. I will find him for the both of us. Thank you, Avatar, he bit his lip. That's not the only reason I'm here, though. He stepped aside to reveal Haydon standing behind him, with Atuat by her side. The two women were stiff-backed, as if ceremony had suddenly intruded its ugly head again. What's the meaning of this? Rangi said. She recognized something she didn't like in her mother's posture. Atuat is my second, and the Fire Lord is my witness, Haydon said. Without her cane, she slowly, carefully sank to her knees on the grass. She reached behind her and unsheathed a wickedly sharp knife. No, Rangi started forward. Mother, no! Hadon pinned her daughter in place with a glare. After what I've done, you would protest? Consistency, Lieutenant. No one gets to escape the consequences of their deeds. This was a long time in coming. She grasped her top knot with one hand and placed the edge of the knife on it carefully. For failing to recognize the true avatar, she said, holding Kiyoshi's gaze. For not protecting my friend Kelsong. Haydon looked to the Fire Lord. For letting my former pupil dishonor our nation. And finally, Rangi. For not being worthy of my daughter's esteem.
With one swift stroke, Hadon lopped off the bundle of hair and tossed it on the ground before her. Her dark silken locks, salted with gray strands, billowed down her face and neck. Rongi shuddered as Atuat carefully picked up the severed topknot and folded a clean silk kerchief around it. She'd lost her own hair once, but that was due to the underhanded tactics of an enemy far away in the Earth Kingdom. Regrettable and traumatic, but more akin to a war injury. Hadon had acknowledged her personal dishonor right in the beating heart of their own country in front of the Fire Lord. It's done, she said to Rongi with a sad smile. You hold this family's honor in your hands now. You'll take far better care of it than I have. With a few more flicks of the knife, Hadon cropped the remainder of her hair to match the severed ends, making it shockingly short, yet somehow still neatly fetching around her beautiful face. For this family, doing things cleanly and properly applied to everything, including rituals of ultimate humility. Atuat took the knife from Hadon and helped her up. In a way, the doctor made the ideal second. She would do as her friend requested, without the hesitance a noble of the Fire Nation might have, at seeing one of its most illustrious figures fall from grace. Rangi, on the other hand, was apoplectic. She'd been robbed of her righteous momentum, had her pockets picked. There was nothing she could say anymore to her mother in anger. Hadon let her daughter flap and fume another minute before deciding they'd wasted enough time. Letting witnesses have their say, even family members, did not appear to be part of the top-knot severing ritual. All right, then. North Chungling. She peered inside the stable at Yingyong. I see you haven't saddled the bison correctly. Five people will cause the floor to shift. What do you mean, five people? Rongi managed to spit out. What do you mean, North Chungling? We didn't agree to go there. You were upset we weren't discussing a plan for my safety earlier, Hadon said. Well, standard operating procedure after a target comes under attack is to move their location. You should know this well. It's how you protected the Avatar from Genju. Hadon turned to everyone. We are going to hide out in North Chungling, she declared. While we're there, Kiyoshi can make contact with Kuruk's friend to follow up on any spiritual leads to find Yun. It'll kill two spider snakes with one stone. Brother Jinpa, have you finished gathering the supplies? Jinpa teetered around the corner, crates and burlap bags stacked high in his arms. I have, headmistress. We can be in the air in 15 minutes. Hadon had commandeered Kyoshi's secretary the same way Rongi had. Rongi stared at Jinpa, furious at his betrayal. He simply shrugged, as if to say, scariest firebender wins, before sidling into the pen next to his bison. We haven't discussed our options, Rongi said. We have to take into account your condition. She'll be fine. 
Atuat said with an uncomfortably cavalier wave of her hand. Fresh air and movement will be better for her health than cooping her up in the palace. She survived the trip home, didn't she? But, but, Rongi looked to Kiyoshi for backup. It seemed like she wanted to avoid a flight with her mother at all costs. But nothing, Hadon said before the Avatar could weigh in. I may have no rank now, young lady, but you are still my daughter. I am telling you that we are going on this trip, and I don't want to hear any further complaints spewing out of your mouth. Now hush. Young lady? Kiyoshi had seen the headmistress give the lieutenant orders before, but this was some kind of new and frightening relationship that had been unshackled. Rangi's mouth bent into a shape Kiyoshi didn't know it could achieve. I'm officially an Avatar's companion, Atuat whooped, throwing her fists in the air. The sudden noise startled Ying Yang into squashing Jinpa against the side of the pen. I'm going to get one of those fancy ink paintings of us commissioned for posterity. Haydon was already inspecting the sections of Ying Yang's coat Rangi had worked on. You call this grooming? she said, aiming her disapproval at her daughter. It looks like you used a body brush instead of a dandy brush. It'll have to be redone, all of it. Somebody help me? Jinpa pleaded from the other side, his voice muffled by his own bison's fur. Zoryu watched the proceedings, gripped by horror and dismay. I was going to give a great big speech about how the fate of my nation rests on the shoulders of this group, he said to Kiyoshi. A bag tore open, scattering grain everywhere. Ying Yang roared in delight and began lapping it up, nearly knocking Atuat down with his tongue. We'll, uh, be careful, Kiyoshi said. Rangi and the others had to go back to the palace for a few more things. Haydon cornered Kiyoshi while she was straightening Ying Yang's saddle blanket. The two of them were alone in the pen. It's not enough, and you know it, the older woman said quietly. Kiyoshi kept her eyes on her work. What isn't? My hair, my honor, they're not enough to balance the scale. Haydon busied her hands along the saddle so it would look like they were talking about something else, something trivial. There is no escaping the past. Yun is the sins of my generation, come back to haunt us. One way or another, he will catch up to me. She cinched one of the buckles tighter. Rangi may view this trip as traveling for my protection. You see it as a search for clues. But from my perspective, we're luring Yun away from the palace, out in the open. I am coming with you to act as bait. Kiyoshi started to protest, but Haydon would brook no argument. You will use me to draw Yun in. You will let him kill me if you have to. I don't think you have a good chance of capturing him without a sacrifice. Rangi would never allow, which is why I am talking to you right now and not her. The stability of the Fire Nation is more important than my life. She gestured at her shortened hair. The other reason I cut my top knot is so that there will be no further disgrace to the country if he kills me.
An honorless person does not need to be avenged. I can bear any insult because there's no more person to insult. Hadon was as even and steady as the earth they stood on. As far as I'm concerned, I don't deserve to escape Yun's wrath any more than Jenju deserved to escape yours. My death might actually close the books on this nightmare. An upside I'd accept without hesitation. The fake work reached its limits, and they turned to face each other. My daughter would never listen to me on such matters, Haydon said. But I can trust you to do what needs to be done. Right, Kiyoshi? Caught between two family members, Kiyoshi didn't know what to say. For the sake of Rangi, she should have refused Haydon immediately. But the headmistress's chilling logic was brutal and elegant at the same time. It boggled Kiyoshi how easily Haydon came up with the trade. Haydon took her silence for an answer and patted her on the shoulder. Good girl. The Fire Sage Traveling over the Earth Kingdom meant crossing vast mountain ranges, lakes the size of oceans, deserts that threatened to swallow their surrounding features. Kyoshi was used to idling large swaths of time away on a bison's back, watching the landscape grow and shrink as she flew from one city to another. Traveling through the Fire Nation was a quick jaunt in comparison. Reaching their destination on Shuhon Island, the next landmass over from the capital felt like flipping a piece of double-sided embroidery around to see what was on the back. North Chungling lay nestled inside enveloping arms of volcanic rock, a small gap in the formation granting it access to the sea. They found an outcropping on the forested slope where Ying Yang could stay, rather than be forced into pens that weren't built to fit him. Despite the short journey, Rongi spilled out of the saddle, a ragged mess. Your landing zone selection needs work, Haydon said, pursuing her mercilessly. It doesn't need work, Rongi muttered. Young lady, I have been traveling with the Avatar on Bison back since before you were born. I count two approaches from the downwind side and insufficient forage. Do you want poor Ying Yong to get surprised by rustlers? Or starve to death? We're not going to be here that long. You don't know that. Does preparedness not carry the day anymore? Do we need to take down the door sign at the academy? It had been like this the whole flight. Kiyoshi took Rangi by the hand before she burst into flames. Why don't we, uh, scout ahead? She dragged her away from the group, down the trail leading to the settlement. Jinpa and Atuat stayed behind, walking at Heron's pace. They'd been mostly quiet throughout the trip, not daring to get between any family arguments. Traveling with my mother is the worst. Rongi fumed once they had some distance. It's like being twelve all over again. How did you manage going to the North Pole together? She was comatose, Rongi said, startling Kiyoshi with her flippancy. Having her constantly in my ear, on a mission with the Avatar no less, 
is a completely different story. It wasn't the reaction Rongi was looking for, but Kiyoshi swelled with a sudden happiness. She couldn't help it. Rongi acting so completely, utterly normal, tugged on a rope connected directly to her heart. It always would. On a whim, she picked Rongi up by the waist and whirled her around. No one was there to scold them for inappropriate touching. Rongi laughed despite herself and tried to swat at her, but couldn't reach as far. Stop it, you're embarrassing me. That's the point. Most Earth Kingdom cities of good repair and repute were square, created to be plain and rigidly four-sided in the unimaginative but sufficient Earth Kingdom way. When settlements were forced into circular plots of land, though, Kiyoshi was accustomed to seeing towns arranging themselves in rings, mimicking bossing, say. The layout deliberately made it easy to see who was rich and who wasn't. But inside their caldera, the residents of North Chungling had opted to build in wedges. Houses and market stalls angled their way toward the center, separated by streets that resembled the spokes of a wheel. Without earthbenders to raise walls and roofs, the buildings had been hewn from logs dragged down from the slopes of the mountain. The relentless humidity warped much of the wood construction, making the town slightly tilted and confusing to look at. And no one was rich. Not in the way of the Fire Nation and Earth Kingdom capitals, or self-sufficient cities like Omashu and Gaoling. As they walked through the outskirts, passing haggard stallkeepers, peddlers selling rusted tools, staring mothers holding children at their hips, Kiyoshi recognized the same symptoms in North Chungling as in Yokoya. Trying to scrabble against unyielding soil wore down on a person in a particular way. Kiyoshi realized the vaunted Fire Nation prosperity that other countries sometimes envied was a bit of a stage trick. Whether it was intentional or not, the capital took up most of what outsiders imagined as the Fire Nation, due to its smaller size compared to the Earth Kingdom. And the capital would always look fine as a point of pride, hiding weaknesses, never lacking for anything. Let's do some reconnaissance and explore the fairgrounds, Heiran said. The man we're looking for is named Nyahitha. He's of the Banti tribe, though he prefers not to make that known. Out of respect, we should feign ignorance of his background. Who are the Banti tribe? Kyoshi asked. Exactly, Heiran said, giving her a pointed stare. They walked farther into town, in the direction of the sea. Rongi's irritation grew with every step. A stranger might have assumed that the haughty-looking girl was turning her nose up at the hardships of the common folk on display. But Kiyoshi knew her better than that. What's your issue with this place? She whispered. You've been against coming here from the start. It's a carnival town, Rongi muttered. A glorified gambling den. North Chungling used to be known as a place where spiritual experiences were common, and anyone could see a vision of the other world, not just the enlightened. But instead of maintaining its hallowed ground, 
the village cashed in on its reputation. People come here to pay for a spiritual encounter, and once they're bored of that, cheap entertainment. Kyoshi hadn't known such options existed. If she could pay to talk to Yang Chen, she would. She'd empty any one of the numerous accounts Janju had bequeathed her. It's not real, Rangi said, knowing exactly what Kiyoshi was thinking. The success stories are from tourists unwilling to admit they wasted their money, and it sullies the very nature of the spirits. If I were the avatar and the only way I could make a profound leap was to grease the palm of a stage medium, I'd bury my head in shame. They'd have to agree to disagree on that front. Rangi trudged on a few paces before her expression softened. Still, the town shouldn't be this run down, she said. There must have been as much trouble with the harvests as Lord Zoryu said. It's as bad as, as the Earth Kingdom, Kyoshi said, raising an eyebrow. Yes, Kyoshi, Rangi said as unflinching as always. As bad as some places we've been to in the Earth Kingdom. She kicked at the dust. I don't know what's happening in my own country anymore. Maybe I've been away for too long. I feel like an outsider. Kiyoshi looked up at the second floors of the buildings and read the weathered signage hanging from the windows. There were a disproportionate number of inns for a town this size, which made sense if lots of visitors came and went. But there were also fresh banners draped from poles and awnings, displaying winged peonies, the sigil of the clan Zoryu's late mother belonged to. Their pristine state made Kiyoshi think of quilts that spent most of the year in the closet, used only during special occasions. Is this Kyoso clan territory? She asked Rongi. The Kyoso traditionally have the strongest influence on Shuhan Island, yes, Rongi said. Though a lot of those flags are locals trying to win business. I'd bet they have a banner for every major clan stashed somewhere, waiting to be used. You know, I've never asked what clan you're from. Throughout the entire time they'd known each other, Kiyoshi had failed to learn such a basic fact about her friend. Rangi laughed. There was a roughness to the sound. Say, Naka. Our symbol is a stylized whetstone. We come from a teeny tiny little island to the south of the capital. Sometimes it doesn't get included on maps made in the Earth Kingdom. She purposely let a coarse up and down rhythm into her accent, to let Kyoshi know how great the social distance was from the royal palace, if not physical. It has no resources to speak of, so my clan exports the talent and skills of its members. We're teachers, bodyguards, and soldiers because we have little else to fall back on. If we're not the best at what we do, then we're nothing. Nothing. The word echoed with bitterness and dread in Rongi's throat, and through it, Kiyoshi saw deeper into the fires of her glowing girl than she ever had before. It was the fear of being nothing that put the steel in Rongi's words and actions. It made her unwilling to compromise, 
except, apparently, on the way she talked, even though Kiyoshi would fistfight anyone who thought there was any part of Rangi that warranted hiding. It explained the tension between her and her mother. Two perfectionists under the same pressure, locked in the same cage. I'd like to see your home, Kiyoshi said. Your own little island. It sounds lovely. Rangi smiled sadly. I was going to take you there during the festival, but then this happened. Kiyoshi brushed the backs of their hands together. Someday, she said. They slowed down so the rest of the group could catch up, walking as five the rest of the way. The town parted to let the view of the sea in. Between the caldera and the shore, the fairgrounds of North Chungling spread over the hard-packed sand. There was no ordered arrangement to the brightly colored tents and stalls. They made a forest of amusements to get lost in. Judging from the signs for games and betting and overpriced food and liquor, a heavy trail of money would be needed to navigate the maze. It was still morning, and this town lacked the penchant for earliness associated with the rest of the Fire Nation, so the barkers and dice dealers were still setting up. Once the fairground workers noticed the party arriving, a great hurrah rose into the air. The loud welcome was not for the Avatar or two Fire Nation nobles, but for Jinpa. The workers shouted, trying to get his attention. Master, give me a blessing. Master Airbender, Master Baldy, over here. I lost a koala sheep in the mountains. Give me the luck I need to find it. Kyoshi wasn't surprised by the reception. Outside of Yokoya, whose tight-fisted residents tended to view Kelsong as a nuisance, air nomads were often seen by Earth Kingdom common folk as bearers of good fortune. Since monks and nuns would have to stop at villages across the world along their journeys from temple to temple, most peasants gladly provided airbenders hospitality in exchange for help with chores, news, and entertaining stories from other parts of the world or a promise to relay messages to distant relatives. Having an air nomad say a few words of spiritual blessing over a new barn or baby was considered great luck among those who rarely encountered members of the wandering nation. She was glad to see the same attitude prevailed here across the sea. Jinpa stepped forward and raised his glider staff. May those whom this wind touches be successful in business and health, he shouted. He whirled his staff with its tail fins open, creating a wide, gentle breeze that swept broadly over the fairground. It was a speedy and equitable distribution of luck, more efficient than trying to bless everyone in turn. The workers sighed and held their arms wide, trying to catch as much of the invisible wealth as possible. Jinpa closed his staff to the enthusiastic cheers of the crowd, a more boisterous response than the muted applause the fire nobles had given him. I have no idea if any of that stuff works, he whispered to his group, but it makes people happy. Folk here seem less uptight than in the capital, Atuat said. The stall vendors had noticed her polar origins and reasoned that if Atuat had traveled very far to be here, she must have had a lot of money. 
they shifted their attention away from Jinpa, who might have had the spirits on his side, but not cold hard cash. Water princess, they cried at Atuat. Queen of the snow, this way, this way for the best games, the best drinks, only the best for a queen. I really should be treated like royalty more, Atuat said. She smiled and waved at the workers, like a dignitary stationed atop a slowly moving carriage. Can we trust you two to keep attention off the rest of our backs? Heiran said. Of course, Jinpa said. Sifu Atuat and I will see to it that the three of you can conduct your business with discretion. She and I will. Oh dear, that's all of our money, isn't it? Atuat was busy dumping a large purse of coins onto a table in exchange for gambling tokens. Jinpa nodded at Haydon as reassuringly as he could before joining the doctor. Haydon tried to tamp down the veins in her head with her fingers. This is my punishment, she said. Once she'd recovered from her friend-induced headache, she led them in a meandering path through the tents, choosing lefts and rights with certainty. Occasionally, she would stop and sniff at the air, her nostrils flaring. Yes, it smells bad here, Rangi said. What were you expecting? We're near a rotting seaweed bed. What I'm looking for has no odor, Haydon said. I'm trying to see if I'm getting any dizzier. Instead of explaining her cryptic statement, she picked her way through two stalls that weren't meant to have a path between them. Their owners didn't appreciate her crossing the lines of business, but a sharp glare from the headmistress convinced them to withhold their objections. Kiyoshi felt compelled to mumble apologies as she wedged herself into the gap to keep up. They came to a large tent, all on its lonesome. It was made of cloth greased with flax oil, in the manner of ship sails designed to let as little air through them as possible. The structure looked so stained and flammable that an errant cough from a firebender would send the whole thing up in smoke. A sign posted outside said, Spirit Visions of the Future. Either the characters were painted in wavy lines in a blurred approximation of a dreamlike state, or the painter simply didn't care enough to keep his strokes neat. Haydon lifted the entrance flap with the tip of her cane. The three of them ducked inside. Welcome, the sole occupant bellowed, throwing his arms in the air to hail his potential customers. Are you interested in divining the secrets of the spirit world? Do you hunger for a glimpse of the great tapestry of the future? Unlike what fraudulent soothsayers and mystics might claim, dear visitor, the power for such visions lies within you. For a small price, let me merely be your humble guide. Nyahatha, Heron said. It's me. The man blinked, adjusting to the light they'd let in. Oh, he said, dropping his arms. It's you. He was about Heron's age. His pockmarked face bore the markers of a rougher life, more days in the open sun. He was wearing costume pieces intended to mimic a fire sage's ceremonial outfit, 
a pointed hat, and wide shoulder pieces over bare arms. The effect was less convincing than Che Jin's mock Fire Lord robes. The tent was empty except for some throw rugs and cushions. In the center, a metal device that resembled a charcoal brazier was jammed straight into the ground. There was no fuel in it, though, only a small knob on the side of the pot. Kiyoshi hoped the man would offer them a seat so she could stop cricking her neck to fit inside the tent. But he and Hadon opted to stare at each other in cold silence, drawing upon what were obviously old memories and intense dislikes. Why are you here? Nyahitha said. He'd stopped shouting and was speaking to them in a quiet, clipped tone. Kuruk's reincarnation needs your help, Hadon said, gesturing to Kiyoshi. That was Kiyoshi's least favorite way for people to refer to her avatarhood. But if it got her what she wanted, then fine. She bowed to Nyahitha. The sage pretender eyed her up and down. Kiyoshi had the same uncomfortable feeling of being bored into that Tagaka and Laogu had given her. Older folk who would find her dark depths before she could herself. Sit, he said. He turned his back on them and left through the rear of the tent. They arranged themselves as best they could around the metal device. It would be great if Kyoshi and I didn't have to waste time guessing what problems you have with this man, Rangi said. Especially since you're the one who said we should meet him. It's simple, Nyahitha said, returning much quicker than Kyoshi expected. The headmistress thinks I ruined Kuruk. And sage Nyahitha believes I and the rest of Kuruk's companions did, Hadon said. Neither of them was phased by the other's open hostility. Nyahitha laid down a tray and filled teacups for each of them. Rongi picked hers up and frowned. Pardon me, but this is cold. No fires allowed, Nyahitha said. Do not create any heat in here. Kyoshi had never heard of a holy man of the Fire Nation eschewing flame. In fact, she was surprised he wasn't burning candles everywhere in the tent. Why, she asked, what is this place? Nyahitha sipped his ambient temperature tea. From his grimace, it was a concession rather than a preference. North Chongling is built over a deposit of flammable vapors. Instead of gold or silver, we have gas below our feet. If too much of it gets out in a concentrated place, a single spark will cause an explosion. But control the flow, and it becomes useful, Hadon said. Nyahitha shrugged. Useful is a strong word. The first visitors to North Chungling who reported spiritual visions likely stayed too long over cracks in the earth that let the gas rise naturally. Breathing the vapors will make you woozy and prone to hallucinating. He flicked the bronze pot on the ground. This gadget, however, lets me moderate how much vapor comes out of a natural spout, 
once I've located one. You're a fraud, Rongi growled, forgetting they were here to seek his assistance. You charge people for a spiritual vision, and then crank up the vapors until their eyes deceive them. Yes, I'm guilty of that. Nyahitha clapped his hands together. Now what can this old fraud do for the Avatar? Mother, we are not letting the scam artist anywhere near Kyoshi. Rangi made to get to her feet. Heidon grabbed her daughter by the side buckle of her armor and forced her back down. Despite my personal issues with him, Nyahitha was also a true fire sage, next in line for High Sage, before the Sawan clan played dirty with the selection process. Kiyoshi thought of Kelsung, who would have been abbot of the Southern Air Temple before he fell from grace. I'd like to stay, she said. Rangi huffed, but made no further protest. Nyahitha listened to Kiyoshi's story from the beginning. He waited quietly and patiently, saying nothing while she told him how the blood-drinking spirit named Father Glowworm had picked her out as Kuruk's reincarnation, and claimed Yoon as his price for the task. Once she was done, the former sage leaned back and crossed his arms. The curse strikes again, he muttered. What are you talking about? Kyoshi said. What curse? That name you bring across my door is some very bad luck, Nyahitha said. Kuruk tangled with many hostile spirits during his avatarhood, and Father Glowworm was one of the worst. He never fully defeated it, and after their battle, it doomed him to suffer catastrophic fortune in the physical world. Anyone he told about Father Glowworm would be cursed in the same way. Anyone who even learned of its existence. I believe the intent was to isolate the Avatar from any allies he might call on to help him defeat the spirit for good. There was an uncomfortable silence in the tent, the moment after opening a tomb. With all due respect, a curse, Rangi said incredulously. Bad luck? Are we falling to superstitions now? Misfortune from the spirits is what people across the four nations pray to ward off every day, Nyahitha said. Too little rain, too much rain, sickness, we're the fish school. These are matters of life and death. If you don't believe in curses, look at me. I used to be a leader at the high temple back in those days. And where am I now? Kurok didn't meet a happy end. And neither did Genju the architect, if what you told me is true. Zoryu was supposedly cursed, Kyoshi thought. Many people in the Earth Kingdom thought ill of her in a similar manner. Fortune was an invisible, unconquerable creature that ruled common folk and noble alike. You fell due to your own vices, Haydon said to Nyahitha, forgetting in anger that she was the one who had pushed for his help. Vices that you infected Kuruk with. 
I tried to make sure at least some of the emptiness inside him was filled with purpose, he snapped. You, who spent so many years with him, what did you produce? A good pie show player? Some companions of the Avatar your lot were. Excuses upon excuses for Kuruk. Kiyoshi was sick of it. She slapped her hand on the earth beside her. Kuruk was responsible for himself, she shouted. Now, are we going to weep over what could have been for the past Avatar? Or are we going to help the current one? There was a hiss in reply. She dislodged the brazier planted in the middle of the tent. Nyahitha hastily recentered it and tightened the valve. Did your boy have any strange features when you last saw him? He asked. Animal-like parts of his body? Kyoshi shook her head. Not that I could see. But when he came back for the first time in Chinchow, there was something wrong with him. I mean, palpably wrong. It was like he was making everyone around him sick and afraid. I've never diagnosed a case of possession in the flesh, but I suppose he could have a spirit's essence inside him. It's difficult to say. Please, Kiyoshi said. She needed more than a cautious verdict from him. There has to be something else you can give me. Father Glowworm has to have some kind of weakness, a way to break its hold on my friend. She wasn't afraid of learning it would take a great battle for her to save Yoon, or a quest through the worst places in the world. She was at home with such things. I can fight it, Kiyoshi said. Just tell me how. I don't have that knowledge, Nyahitha said, deflating her hope. Kuruk was the one who confronted wrathful spirits. I was just his handler on those missions. Kiyoshi wanted to scream inside the tent, took the breath to do it, until she remembered they had one last option. Then teach me how to ask him myself. Since he had no sleeves, Nyahitha wiped his nose on the cloth of his shoulder piece, crooking his neck. He stared at her as he did so. And Kiyoshi could tell he was judging her worthiness, as if she were making the request for selfish reasons. She knew what it looked like when old folks decided a young person's fate was a light, weightless thing. Come back to me an hour before twilight, he said. I can help you commune with Kuruk. Not through this noxious garbage, though. Don't inhale it. It'll rot you from the inside. Haven't you been breathing it with every single one of your customers? Rongi asked. He smiled narrowly at her in response. A commotion came from outside. It was an angry noise, the brewing of trouble to come. Nyahitha got up and peeked out the tent flap. Whatever he saw made him swear through his teeth. What is it? Kiyoshi asked. Sawan, he said. They don't normally come to North Chungling. Rongi's tongue lashing about running into situations headlong was still fresh in Kyoshi's mind. Can we watch from here? Nyahitha ran his hand through a sticky seam between the roof and the wall of the tent, letting the four of them peer through the crack. 
It felt a bit childish, lining up in a row to peep, but it worked. Kyoshi could see the scrubby open area that surrounded Nyahitha's stall. Heading straight for them was a large procession of nobility. The column traveled by foot, bearing a giant palanquin swathed in red and gold silks. Surrounding it was a contingent of armored warriors. These men and women looked ready for a battle, not a day at the beach. They held their jaws with an arrogance designed to provoke. And they were personally adorned with so many stone camellia designs that the great flapping banner of the Sawan clan they carried at the head of the procession was wholly unnecessary. The stall vendors, who had been eager for customers earlier, were not happy to see them. Many of them left their booths and formed up a mob to meet the arriving Sawan. One middle-aged man with bushy sideburns stood at the front of the pack. He was very well-dressed compared to the rest of the fairground workers, but they seemed to rally around him rather than resent him for it. That's Sanshir Kyoso, Nyahitha said. He's the town's cotton merchant and the fair's main sponsor. The palanquin came to a stop, its bearers carefully lowering the box to the ground. The occupant stepped out. She was a pretty woman with a thin, puckered face, wearing outrageously expensive robes. Kiyoshi was certain she had not been at the royal palace reception. Such grandiose taste would have stood out. Lady Huazou, Rongi said. Jin's mother. I'm not sure why she's slumming it in North Chungling. Yahitha gave her comment an angry squint, but went back to watching. Huazo and Sanshir Kyoso approached each other like the principals in a duel. Speaking for the benefit of the respective contingents like stage players meant they were loud enough for Kyoshi's group to hear from inside the tent. Master Sanshir, Huazo said, how good to see you. I've written you so many letters with no response. I began to worry for your health. My health is fine, Huazo, the fairground leader said, and I could have saved you the visit. The answer to your inquiries, as it remains since the first time I gave it, is no. The fair is not for sale, nor the croplands. My cousins have agreed. Not a single square inch of Shuhan Island will ever fall into the hands of the Sawan. Huazo licked her lips and grinned. That's funny, she said. Given how I recently purchased Master Lin Su's entire salt-making operation down the shore, and his vacation house right here in town, I suppose he's not as loyal to his home as you are. He couldn't wait to pack up and leave this place. Sancher's eyes turned muddy with rage. The crowd behind him grew heated. Huazo drank in their reactions like water in a desert. After I signed the papers, it occurred to me I should celebrate the festival of Sito in the newest outpost of my clan, she said. And thus, here I am. With so many of your household guards, Sanshur said, staring at the Sawan force. For my own safety, haven't you heard? Last night an assassin, a madman, an earthbender of all people, infiltrated the royal palace. 
Wazo had to cover her own mouth to keep her shock and distress from spilling out. Members of the court were nearly killed, and it happened right under our dear Fire Lord Zoryu's nose. I'm told it was humiliating, absolutely humiliating. Haydon grimaced inside the tent. Chajian must have gotten messenger hawks out to his clan immediately after the attack. The Sawan are like shark squids when they smell blood. That doesn't explain why Huazo's tromping around in the middle of Kyoso territory instead of seeing to her new business, Rangi said. Kyoshi watched the news of Yun's attack ripple through the Kyoso side. The fairground workers understood the implications for Zoryu's honor as well as nobles would. She became keenly aware that many of Sanshur's men were holding large hammers used to drive tent stakes into the ground. Ice saws as big as swords, pieces of driftwood that served no purpose, other than being heavy clubs. I know what she's doing, Kyoshi said. She's picking a fight. Sometimes when a Daofei gang wanted to go to war but cared about appearing in the right, they made themselves vulnerable by strolling through enemy streets, noses held high, hoping to provoke a small amount of violence upon themselves that could be answered with overwhelming force. Zoryu had told her this was part of the Sawan's strategy. They preferred a Kyoso to strike at them first. Watch what you say about our rightful fire lord, Sanshur growled. I'm simply stating facts, Wazo said. Check with anyone you care to back in the capital, the Inta or the Lahaisen. I heard Lady Mizgen nearly had to have her foot amputated from her injuries. Anyway, I'm not here to debate the strength and capabilities of young Zoryu. I simply came to your lovely little village to enjoy myself and take the waters. She looked toward the sea and peered at the rancid algae foaming up on the shore. Well. You know what I mean. I hope to run into you again, Master Sanshur. She walked leisurely back to her palanquin. It looked like the crisis might have been averted, but a member of her vanguard, out of sight of his lady, made eye contact with Sanshur. Then, as a farewell, he spat on the ground. Please tell me that's less of an insult here than in the Earth Kingdom, Kyoshi whispered. Rangi and Haydon gave her an answer by bursting out of the tent, making for the space between the battle lines as fast as they could. Kyoshi glanced at Nyahitha. Go after them, the old man yelled. She joined the charge not a moment too soon. Several large stones flew from the Kyoso side, aimed at Huazo's turned back. With a series of punches, she altered the trajectory of the rocks with immense force, sending them so far out into the ocean she couldn't hear the splashes of them land. Lady Huazo, is that you? Haydon cried out with exaggerated joy, making sure she drew more attention than the attack. Huazo turned around with a frown. It lingered for a moment as she took in the surprise, but she quickly adjusted it into a wide smile. Haydon, as I live and breathe. The sudden presence of the headmistress was enough to make Huazo's side stand down. Hands left the hilts of their swords, and the soldiers stepped back to give their lady space to greet her old acquaintance. 
Kyoshi focused on keeping her fellow rabble in line by standing in front of the Kyoso mob. They might not have known who she was, but she didn't need recognition to be intimidating. She gestured at Sanshur and his men with her eyes. Did you see what I did to those rocks, hmm? What a wonderful surprise, Hadon said, as if she hadn't been listening in for the past few minutes. Are you here to celebrate the holiday as well? Yes, I was just telling. Wazo stopped mid-sentence. Her eyes drifted to Hadon's head. She pressed her fingers to her lips again, her shock genuine this time. Hadon stared back until it struck her. She'd forgotten her hair had been cut in dishonor. Her hands tightened around her cane. She backed away from Huazo, her eyes downcast. Kyoshi had thought she understood the significance of the ceremony before, but she'd been wrong. Huazo was the first fire national of notable rank they'd met since Hadon lost her topknot. And the proud, invincible headmistress was acting like she no longer had the right to speak. Huazo's stance shifted. She went from being caught off guard by a formidable presence to having the bearing of an almsgiver in front of a wandering mendicant. Oh, my dear, she said softly. Did this have anything to do with the attack on the palace? It did. Hadon said. She'd found her strength and calmness again. There was no shame in answering her newfound better. Among other failures. How fate and fortune rule us all, Wazo said. She thought for a moment. Hadon, honor is honor, but friendship is friendship. I will never disavow you no matter the circumstances. She reached out for an embrace, and Kiyoshi was nearly ready to change her opinion of the woman. But then, Wazo used her extended hand to pat Hadon on the head, like she would a child. Or a pet. Kiyoshi tried to gauge Rongi's reaction, but Rongi was blank, zeroed out a null in the ledger. Her gaze bored through Huazo and into the stars beyond. If she wasn't moving, if she wasn't immediately challenging Huazo to an Agni Kai, then it was acceptable for Huazo to treat Heron like this. According to the rules of etiquette, it was acceptable. Heron didn't look perturbed at all. She endured Huazo's ruffle of her shortened locks with nary a frown. She was less upset than the Kyoso commoners, who murmured and scowled at the ungraciousness on display. After what felt like an eternity, Wazo let go. She turned to examine the rest of Hadon's group. That would make you the Avatar, she said to Kyoshi. After what she'd done, the rules of introduction were an afterthought. I am, Kyoshi said finding it difficult to speak with Rongi in turmoil a few feet away. I suppose your son wrote to you about me. He did. Our family is twice blessed for both of us to meet you in such a short time. When you write him back, give him a message for me. 
Kyoshi hardened her gaze. Tell him he makes a good fire, Sage, and nothing more. Wazo's lips parted as she figured out what Kyoshi was saying. It was interesting to watch her mind work and her face try to hide it. Deducing what the Avatar knew and what her son might have revealed. The conclusion that she would have to go through Kyoshi to get to Zoryu didn't worry her in the slightest. A happy noise came from Rongi, so out of place that Kyoshi nearly drew her weapons in surprise. Colin! Rongi's feet dug into the sand as she ran to meet one of Huazo's guards on the far edge of the formation. She was a girl their age who was equally delighted to see her. She had a round, pleasant face and wore her hair almost identical to Rongi's. Rongi! The two girls nearly collided. They clutched each other's hands and grinned, oblivious to their surroundings. The sudden turnaround in Rongi's mood was bizarre. My niece, Colin, Wazo explained to Kyoshi. Those two were the same year at the academy. The bonds forged in school over the anvil of education are stronger than any other. I'm sure you understand. Wazo would have known that as an Earth Kingdom peasant, the odds of Kiyoshi having a level of formal education similar to Rongi or Kolin were nil. Her petty dig hurt less than the way Rongi's face shone for her friend. She couldn't remember ever being greeted in such a manner. Seeing she'd scored a hit, Wazo decided to leave on a high note. She made a show of covering her small-mouthed yawn. Apologies, Avatar. I'm so exhausted from my journey. I should make for my lodgings. I'm sure I'll see you and your companions during the festivities. Colin, come now. Rongi and Colin reluctantly pulled themselves apart. Huazo got back in her palanquin. Kyoshi, with feet planted, watched the laborious, lengthy process of the Sawan contingent reorganizing itself. It turned its head like the slowest serpent in the world, without any spitting this time, and marched back to town. Sanshur Kyoso suddenly appeared by Kyoshi's side, gazing at the retreating column with her, as if the task of seeing off the Sawan had required the two of them equally. Fork-tongued fiends they are. I'm glad the Avatar's here to keep them in line. She glared at him. It was your side I caught throwing rocks. Huazo and her clan have been biting off chunks of the other islands like lion vultures, he said, as if that was an excuse for the behavior of his kin. I'll be a cremated pile of ashes before I let her have Shuhan. Her and that by-blow son of hers. We're not rubes, another man shouted from the fairground crowd. We know about the dirty tricks Chae and the usurper is pulling in court. We support the legitimate Fire Lord Zoryu. Long may his flame burn, Sanshur said. Are you going to tell us we're wrong for being loyal to the crown? The Fire Lord doesn't need you starting violence for him. So we should let them insult us? Like what she did to your companion? Kyoshi had no answer for that. She looked to Rongi and Heron, but they said nothing. There must have been some kind of Fire Nation rule at work, 
where they couldn't in good conscience tell their own countrymen how to interpret their personal dishonor. Don't worry, Sancho declared. We've got your back against the Ma'inka worms. You can count on us. The fairground workers rattled their tools, shouting praises of the Avatar and the Fire Lord while heaping scorn upon the Sawan. Hadon stepped closer to Kiyoshi. Let's just leave, she whispered. Remember, we have a mission here. If we get caught up in this nonsense, we'll make it worse. Are you sure? Sancher's men seem really riled up. It's not Sancher's men I'm worried about. Hadon glanced at her daughter. Rangi stared out to sea, lost somewhere in the churning waves. Leaving wasn't easy. They had to wander the tents, looking for Atuat and Jinpa. They found them near the gambling tents, offering the highest stakes. The monk appeared to have aged a decade, sweat and furrows marking his brow. I had a run of bad luck, Atuat explained. But Jinpa here got us back to break even. The remnants of shock lingered on his face, like he'd witnessed the desecration of a holy relic. I've... Never seen anyone play Paisho quite like the doctor. You'd almost have to be a genius at the game to do what she did. At this point, Kiyoshi was simply glad the two of them hadn't drowned in the sea or gotten stuck in a hole. They headed back to town. As they walked, Hadon gave Kiyoshi another meaningful look. Rangi was storming off ahead of the group. Kiyoshi caught up with her, but was at a loss for what to say. It's nice to know there's at least one tolerable Sawan, she ventured. Colin must remind you of the good old academy days. Kyoshi, Rongi said slowly. I was miserable at the academy. What? She nearly stopped in her tracks. Weren't you the number one student in your class? Didn't you graduate from officer's school early? Those things aren't mutually exclusive, Rangi said. I had motivation to get the scores I did. I couldn't get out of that place fast enough. There must have been signs Kiyoshi missed along the way. How else could she have misunderstood such an integral part of Rangi's life so badly? I'm sorry, I didn't know. It's not your fault. I've only mentioned bits and pieces of those days, never the full story. Her tone was carefully measured, composed with effort. You do remember when I told you the other students used to spread rumors and gossip about my mother, right? I do. It had been a secret shared on an iceberg drifting in the ocean the two of them lying under the same blanket together. Not circumstances easily forgotten. Rongi jutted her chin in the direction of the town. Kiyoshi knew she was pointing at Kolin, wherever Huazo's niece was. It's a Sawan signature technique. Delivering insults with plausible deniability. There were some vicious little monsters at school, but her? She was the worst. You couldn't call her out? 
Kiyoshi wasn't sure at what age the Fire Nation allowed Agni Kai's. And after what she'd personally been through on the Leitai, she had mixed feelings about the practice of duels in general. But she assumed the behavior Rongi was describing would have ended in some kind of challenge. Rongi shook her head. She was careful not to say anything to my face that warranted it. She left that to cronies who were too weak for me to confront without looking like a bully. I know exactly how Lord Zoryu feels, trying to win a war of insults against an enemy he can't confront. She bit her lip, trying to convince herself more than anyone. And what could I have done, really? I was the headmistress's daughter. Any fights I got into would have reflected poorly on her, or made it look like I was abusing my status. Was I supposed to go whining to a teacher that the other kids were saying mean things about my mother? Kyoshi couldn't believe it. I thought the academy was this, this wonderful experience that shaped you. It did. I learned everything I know there. But I wasn't happy until I left and found a purpose on the outside. She gave Kyoshi a tilted smile, full of heartbreak. Serving the Avatar. Kelsung used to say there was pain and joy in all things, often when trying to comfort Kyoshi about her earliest years in Yukoya. During her visit to the Fire Nation, Kyoshi had been thrilled each time she discovered another little cache of information about Rangi, like unearthing another bit of treasure. But under the shine was life, grubby and dirty, and impossible to burnish. She would take it anyway. Along with everything else about her girl, no matter how unexpected or painful, it took every ounce of her willpower not to lean over and give the firebender a forbidden kiss on the top of her head. Together they walked down the street that bisected the guest districts, cutting across the wedges of restaurants and shops. Rongi pointed out some festival-related traditions they saw along the way. Paper streamers strung over doorways were meant to comb the entering visitors for good luck. Shopkeepers cooked pots of beans to represent the inventories being counted. The dark sugary drinks sold everywhere symbolized the prodigious amount of ink Avatar Sito used over his career. Had it not been for the unpleasantness by the beach, they could have pretended they were here to enjoy themselves. But reality intruded yet again. Once they rounded the corner of the inn they were staying at, a huddle of men came into view. Kiyoshi could tell from the clouds of dust and swearing, the way their fists rose and fell, what lay at the center of the ring. Their victim. She lowered her shoulder into two of the men at once, sending them flying away from the group. Rongi took the other two attackers by the backs of their collars and yanked down, slamming them to the ground. Kiyoshi expected the dazed and bleeding youth they'd been beating to be a Sawan isolated from Huazo's group, but judging from his clothes, he was a local like the other four men. What is going on here? She bellowed. We caught this traitor putting up a stone camellia banner over his stall, said one of the men, wriggling in Rongi's grasp. 
I just wanted some business, mumbled the young vendor as he shakily got to his knees. And that was more important to you than the honor of your clan? No nephew of mine is going to toady up to the Sawan. The ringleader tried to kick more dust in the direction of his beaten kinsman. Kiyoshi shared a worried look with Rangi. It had taken less than an hour since the arrival of the Sawan for a fight to break out, and it hadn't even been between rival clans. Kiyoshi could see the grains of violence crystallizing into a fuller shape. Under their feet, North Chungling was priming to explode. Spiritual Exercises It doesn't surprise me they were related, Nyahatha said when Kiyoshi told him about the active battery she'd stopped. Enemies are enemies, but no one can shame you like your own family. She and Rongi had immediately hauled the offenders to the town jail, but the local judge's indifferent response to the crime and his strong family resemblance to the uncle of the victim meant it was unlikely they'd be locked up for longer than overnight. She would have to remember the troublemakers' faces if she saw them around town in the morning. Kyoshi followed Nyahitha on a narrow path that crept along the rim of the caldera. It was just the two of them. Her entire party had shown up to his tent at the appointed time. He'd taken one look at the motley group before declaring that spiritual breakthroughs were not a group activity. He would need the Avatar alone. Climbing up here had been sweaty work in the humidity of the island. It was easier to talk now, exposed to cooling breezes that ran across the edges of the cliff heights. It's not a good sign, though, Nyahitha said. Fights don't usually break out until later in the festival, once the alcohol starts flowing. I'm sure you have plenty of drunken aggression in the Earth Kingdom. But here, where you've got to avenge every stupid slight upon your name? He grimaced. I tell you, I don't love that part about my country. Kyoshi knew the feeling. The Earth Kingdom's hide-bound corrupt habits had caused her no end of grief. At least there won't be any Agni Kai's. Nyahitha said. It's a spiritual offense to burn another person during a holiday. They walked farther until they came to a bluff that overlooked a growing plain, a flattened gentle slope that bore the marks of plow and hoe. Most of the ground had been upturned and emptied. There's not enough light to see it clearly now, but over there are the melon yam fields. Nyahitha said, pointing to a still green patch on the opposite side of the village. They're an extremely sensitive crop, so they stay in the ground until the very end of the festival. I'd be surprised if they even survive that long, though. This town is withering, Avatar. The tourist money helps, but it's not enough. Do you think the rumors are true? Could the spirits be angry at Lord Zoryu for some reason? Man guesses, spirits act, Nyahitha said, trotting out an old expression. You could try asking them yourself once you figure out how. He pointed to a stump on another nearby clearing. 
That's where we'd tie up your flying bison if you had one. Kiyoshi frowned. I do have a bison, or at least access to one. What? Nyahitha's shout echoed in the evening air. Why didn't you say so? We've been hiking for an hour. We could have flown here in minutes. You didn't tell me where we were going. I thought the walking was part of the spiritual exercise. The two of them held back from swearing at each other. Between the flying opera company's obsession with Pong Pong and Nyahitha's grumbling that she hadn't brought Ying Yong, Kyoshi was beginning to think the world would be better off if the Avatar simply reincarnated as a sky bison from now on. At least then, it would be universally beloved. All right, just sit, Nyahitha said. Anywhere is fine as long as you give me some space in front of you. Kyoshi took her position. We're not doing incense, are we? She'd had bad experiences with incense, to say the least. No, we're not doing incense. Nyahitha's approach seemed to forego as many spiritual trappings as possible. He'd left behind his ridiculous fake fire sage outfit and wore a simple cotton robe, notably devoid of any clan symbols. You know, I just thought of something, Kiyoshi said as he sat down across from her. If it doesn't work out with Kuruk, you could guide me to Yang Chen. She mediated between humans and spirits. Nyahitha let out a long hiss through his teeth. I don't think Yang Chen will be as much help as you think. That's nonsense. Yang Chen was the perfect avatar. Or at least better than Kuruk in every way possible. She'd be able to help me somehow. If you reached her, maybe. Some sages, including me, believe you have to go down the chain of your past lives in reverse order if you want to communicate with them. You can't talk to Yang Chen or the older avatars before you manage to connect with Kuruk. Great, Kyoshi said, throwing up her hands and breaking her meditative posture. So on top of everything else, Kuruk's a wall keeping me from my full potential. He's not a... I swear, I would have known you were his reincarnation from the start and saved the Earth Kingdom a lot of trouble had they brought you before me. You two are exactly alike. Kyoshi sputtered, indignant to her very core. How dare the nerve of him to insinuate such a... Nyahitha quickly constructed a list on his fingers. You both idolize Yang Chen to a fault. You're both stubborn as rocks when it comes to what you want, and neither of you have any control over your emotions. Mark my words, you're going to botch up bad someday because of your personal feelings, just like he did. I'm glad you could tell all of that from the two conversations we had. Kiyoshi had thought the days of mystical tutors unilaterally declaring who she really was inside were over, but apparently not. Now can we get down to business? Nyahitha wiped his mouth and calmed himself into a state more becoming of an avatar's spiritual guide. There's a number of ways Kuruk might talk to us, he explained. The most straightforward is if you were to simply have a vision of him. 
This method tends to be successful in locations with meaning for the past avatars. This spot right here was where Kuruk would meditate and recover from his own spiritual journeys. A vision in an important location to the water avatar. That could explain his appearance in the Southern Air Temple. And, she thought with some displeasure, the wreckage he'd made of Yang Chan's island. The downside is that any messages you get from a vision tend to be one way only, Nyahitha said. Not as useful if you have to ask him questions. Another way to have more of a conversation is if he took over your body and spoke to me in person. I would have to relay whatever you want to ask him. Kiyoshi frowned. She was distinctly uncomfortable with the idea of being possessed by someone else. Kuruk was one of the last people she wanted controlling her body, even if he was her own past life. Nyahitha noticed her reluctance. If you don't like that, the final method, which is the most difficult and least likely to happen after one session of practice, is if you manage to meditate your way into the spirit world. There, you could talk to him face to face. This is the level of communing that most people associate with the Avatar's abilities. It's the most efficient and clear way to draw on the wisdom of previous generations. He paused. But, Kiyoshi asked, Kuruk's spirit isn't necessarily going to be there to greet you, and your body is rendered physically helpless while your spirit is on the other side. And sometimes you don't remember anything you learned once you come back to the physical world. Maybe she was better off inhaling the gas inside the dirty tent. Communing doesn't sound like the great and useful power it's described to be. Nothing is useful until you practice it. Nyahitha brought 